BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, uh, and I'm stoked to bring you guys this one with Australian Senator Malcolm Roberts. Um, before you listen to this podcast, a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, I'm not in any way an affiliate of One Nation. Uh, I've never voted for One Nation. Uh, I reached out to Senator Malcolm Roberts after hearing a speech he gave on freedom Uh, As an Australian citizen, I'm currently pretty worried about my loss of freedoms, uh, and I've traveled to enough places, I've read enough about history to understand that freedom is at the very core of our society, uh, and without the necessary respect paid to these freedoms uh, in each and every decision made by uh, the Australian government, or or any government for that matter, um, these foundations can become compromised, and it's a risk to collapse. I love my country. I love my fellow countrymen and countrywomen, uh, whether First Nation uh, or the descendants of immigrants like myself uh, and any immigrant who has made a life here as a result of the freedom and protection uh, that this great island continent offers. I'm sure that there are positions and opinions of Malcolm and One Nation that I would vehemently refute, uh, but I'm also sensible enough to know that that's also the case with my own mother, who I love dearly. A further caveat to this conversation is around COVID itself. Um, There is a video that details my exact thoughts, but once again, I'll just highlight them briefly to avoid labels like anti-vaxxer or COVID denier. COVID-19 is real. It is a communicable disease that has killed uh, just over 900 people uh, in Australia. There should be rules, regulations, and when needed, restrictions. I simply ask, though, that these regulations be made with real data in mind and in line with other vectors in society in which your mortality is at risk and when your actions can lead to the mortality of others. I'm also asking that these rules and regulations are underwritten with the same freedom at their foundation, uh, the very same freedom that is supposed to underwrite Australian society. Uh, I love you all. I'm open to talk to anybody in Australia about politics and if there are better ideas than the ones that I currently have uh, and they can be communicated to me in a way in which I can understand, then I really want to hear them. This is definitely a departure from the normal guests that we have on Gypsy Tales. Um, I've remained fairly uh, quiet about this whole thing. I've just tried to get on with my life business as usual uh, and make this podcast a platform that can inspire people in their day-to-day life and bring you um, great stories like our last podcast with Australian gold medalist Logan Martin. Um, But I think it is important Uh, to have these kind of conversations. Um, I definitely believe in freedom. uh, And like I said, we do need to take COVID seriously. um, But I personally believe that we need to draw a line in the sand uh, and get on the same page about what it does mean to be free and a free person living in a free Australian society. So thank you so much to Malcolm for coming on the podcast. I really did enjoy it. 
and like I said, there's there's some positions that I would probably push back against uh, Malcolm on at times. Some of them came up in the podcast, um, but that was not what I was, I guess, researched and prepared to talk about. So tried to kind of keep it in uh, in a certain lane. So uh, I'm not really going to bother reading the sponsors out for this podcast, um, just in case these guys aren't in line with any of the views uh, and opinions expressed in this podcast, which is completely fine. Um, all of the links are in the description below if you would like to uh, to support the people that support us. So thanks so much, Senator Malcolm Roberts, for coming on the podcast. I personally really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed getting to express some ideas, explore some ideas. Um, in particular, at the end of the podcast, we talk quite a lot uh, about the legalities around uh, mandating medical treatment uh, and what our Australian constitution says about it, uh, and then how the government is, uh, I guess, skirting some of these laws um, by uh, working with the states um, who do have the power to mandate those kinds of things. So there's some interesting stuff towards the end of the podcast uh, about the technical side of uh, Australian law and how some things are getting passed when they are essentially unconstitutional. So once again, thank you guys. I hope you enjoy. Um, Love you all once again. Detailed here, but I don't think you'll need it. But just in case it comes up, yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, too, with this one, um, are we rolling, right? Yeah, with with this too, like I'm completely fine to take our time if we want to watch some videos. If you, if there's anything, like we've got the computer here. If anything needs to get pulled up, I've actually, um, so. Ah. Um, so Aiden actually sent me through this podcast, um, on goodsource.news. So the podcast, podcast has started, everybody. Senator Malcolm Roberts is joining us, uh, from One Nation. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Um, little disclaimer, I have zero affiliation with the One Nation party. I've never voted for One Nation. I am a registered voter of the Australian constitution whatever we would call it um but yeah this is me speaking uh as a concerned australian citizen over some of the things that i've watched uh over the last 18 months i have lived in other countries uh so i'm quite familiar with the way that other systems work uh so there's a there's a concern on my end for some of the things that have been happening in australia in the last 18 months i come across videos of you voicing those exact same concerns uh, and using very similar uh, dialogue. So, reached out via social media. Here we are. It's lovely to be here. We've actually started, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and I, I've also spent about five years in the States. I worked for two years in the States and yeah. then I traveled for 18 months. I went broke like Aussies do and, yeah. and sold my car to buy a plane ticket home at the end of it. Yeah. Um, visited all 50 states so impressed with America the way it was 30 years ago when I traveled um, then I went back later and, and studied at University of Chicago over there got yeah, an MBA right. from there and that's one of the top three finance schools in the world I'm yeah. not saying that to brag I'm just yeah, saying yeah, that that's, yeah. that's what Context, I did yeah. and um, uh, I had some job offers lined up over there um, but I was given a really amazing um, opportunity in Australia so I came back but I loved America absolutely loved it um, yeah. but it's pretty well buggered now 
Yeah. I saw it, you know, coming alive under Trump again after Clinton and wrecked it, but yeah. Trump brought it back, but the globalists knocked him off. Yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, it's a pretty it's a politics in 2021 is a quite a gnarly landscape. I think that uh, probably the biggest thing that has changed the way that the political landscape can operate is social media and and the news. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest hurdles facing true democracy um, anywhere from this point forward essentially in my in my view is the way that uh, information can be shared the way that misinformation can be shared the way that uh, correct information can be um, blanked exactly I mean when I posted I don't I very rarely talk about politics I, I've gone almost 18 months without speaking on COVID um, because for me, it's like I wanted to just be more of like a positive light within the community. There's obviously things that are much, you know, larger um, at, at play than what like I can just do with my microphone. I was like, look, I, I don't want to be a guy that just adds to the noise. Uh, a lot of people are already doing that. Um, and I just had confidence that things would get better. But it's like we're 18 months down the road and things feel about as bad as they could possibly uh, be. And then I put out uh, one video talking about it. Um, I, I'm a bit upset in the way that I did it. I didn't articulate my point. It was like a two-minute clip from the podcast that I just put out. Um, so, yeah, this podcast is really about, um, I guess, trying to clear the air on a lot of that, make some of those points kind of known. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I put out that video and I couldn't use my Instagram for four days. I don't know how you use your Instagram. <laughs> Are you having that same thing? Got taken down last week. Really? Your, your whole Instagram? <laughs> no, uh, we had a video banned and a warning. Don't you do this again, you know? So yeah. um, the legacy media, you know, the mainstream media, call it what you want. I call it the legacy media. It's buggered. It, yeah. You can't rely on it at all. Yeah. Uh, we know who owns them. Um, Murdoch's probably the best of the owners. Yeah. Jace. Um, okay, so let's break that down then. So who owns the media in Australia? Well, I, I read a wonderful book many years ago um, called None Dare Call It Conspiracy. Yeah. All right? And it was written by Gary Allen, yeah. uh, Californian, I think it was. And, and it's an amazing book. And as I was reading it, it was just common sense. And he'd done, obviously, what I'd done. And and, uh, and I, he just started thinking about things when he got to a certain age and he started doing research. And, you know, we're, we're told this bullshit about Hitler being a, a fascist, right-wing fascist. He's a socialist. Yeah. And if you go through every damn uh, dictator who's killed mass murderer, they're all socialists from the left wing. And yeah. the left tries to control. And I don't use the term left and right. I use freedom versus control. That's all I talk about, yeah. freedom versus control. So he pointed out the mainstream media in America, CBS, ABC, NBC, uh, they're owned by the globalists that own most of the corporations around the world. Yeah. All right? In Australia, that same influence is here. The banks are owned indirectly by them. And Murdoch seems to be a bit of a different character. Yeah. He seems to be, he's obviously a billionaire and very, very powerful and very, very rich. And he influences who becomes the government in this country, without a doubt, and he has for, for 30 years. Yeah. If his paper picks... Liberal Party, they'll be in power. If his paper picks the Labor Party, they'll be in power. Yeah. So he has an influence, but I don't think he's a true globalist. Yeah. I think he's just out to make money and, and accumulate power. Yeah. So I put him out, out to the side. 
But the rest of the media uh, are basically just doing whatever the government tells them to do. Yes. They're both like that with the Labor Party and the Liberal Party. They're yeah. both very, very close. And they f- the, both the parties fall over themselves yeah. to give them favours so they look after them in power. The media, you can't trust them at all. That They just give you one side of thing. Sky News used to be wonderfully independent. They're now pushing vaccines for all they're worth, with the exception of Alan Jones and Rowan Dean. They're yeah. just, just a mouthpiece for the government. News Corporation owns um, The Australian, The Weekend Australian, largest circulation paper in the country. It's had, in the last uh, couple of months, it's had two supplements, four-page supplements. You know what four-page supplement costs in The, in the Weekend Australian? Yeah, it'd be quite expensive. Huge. Yeah. So they've just become mouthpieces for, for the government. Yeah. Um, I think that you can... It, it's important to know that... This doesn't... So, I don't like conspiracies. I don't like being a conspiracy guy. No. I don't like... Um, so, for, we'll get into this um, this podcast with Professor David Flint. Um, but the, the host, I'm sure, a lovely, nice guy. We get to the end. I spent... So, I spent three and a half hours to watch the, like, 25 minutes of this last night just to try and really make sure that I could understand it. You get to the end of the video and he says, oh, well, the second Christ, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ is on his way anyway. That's been, and I'm just like, fuck, dude. All this work that you just did to now tell me that the second coming of Jesus Christ is on his way. It's like, we don't need that, man. Like, we, that yeah. kind of rhetoric fucks good points. Like, yep. we don't need... Let's just fully look at it. So, for I'm you... I'm just bursting to say one thing. Yeah. Whenever... Th- there's Humans have very great difficulty keeping a conspiracy. Mm. Imagine all the people you've got how to many keep secret, quiet. Yeah, how many you, fucking you can't people do keep it. a secret? I can't keep a secret. You can't do it. So, I don't believe this conspiracy bullshit, all right? Yeah. But there's no doubt there, there are some things that are controlled by just a handful of people. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. The strange thing is, one of the biggest ones we can talk about maybe one time, but one of the biggest issues, they talk openly about what they're doing. Mm. So it's not a conspiracy at all. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. not secret. Conspiracy yeah. has to be secretive yeah. and Shielded withheld. from view. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but these aren't. Yeah. If you listen carefully and you watch carefully, they tell a, you they're doing this. I've got a clip ready to fucking rip for it. So, so, so when someone says conspiracy, uh, because I'm talking about something, they might because they can't match my argument and my data. Yeah, straw they man. call me a racist or yeah, a straw man, a straw man yeah. or a Islamophobe or a homophobe or yeah. a well, whatever yeah. or a conspiracy theorist. So when yeah. they give me a label, I just say, "Thanks, mate. You just confirmed you can't match my data. You can't match yeah. my argument. So instead, you're going to call me a name. Yes. Conspiracy. When someone calls someone a conspiracy Defame theorist, the man and not the argument. Yeah. When someone calls uses the term conspiracy theorist. They're usually hiding. Yeah. The other person has probably never said conspiracy and doesn't believe it. Yeah. But that's how they try to smear you. It's yeah. used to smear. It's not used to to put any fabrica- any real points across. One hundred percent. And so my point with this media, and it's something that I've I've noticed. And so another reason why I didn't comment on any of this stuff for as long as I have is because I don't own a TV. This is this TV <laughs> in the studio is the only TV I don't watch that it. I own. Yeah, I can't do it, man. And uh, so I, the only time I see the TV is when my parents, uh, when I go to my parents' house. They don't really watch the news either that much. Um, but my grandma was here for some medical stuff, and she's in her fucking eighties or whatever it is. And the news was on, and dead set, dude. It was like within minutes, I just said, to her, I was like, <laughs> we have to turn this off. Like I can't do this. And I had an argument with her about it. I was like, what are you watching? Like, listen to this. Look at look at the way that in just the last four minutes, these headlines have been presented to you. 
it's literally one side that yes. they're giving. So this is what I've noticed again. So this isn't a conspiracy. This is just something that you can notice by watching uh, any form of news. They deliver it to you in this tone. That's like the new South Wales government extends lockdowns. So, and they're, they're, they're delivering in this concerned tone of voice, right? So you're sitting there thinking, you're like, fuck, what's going on here? Like that they're, they're being objective. They've got this objective tone of voice, but the mess. There's no objectivity in the message no. at all, and then there's no questioning behind. Uh, they they present the uh, the lockdowns to you, and then there's like there's absolutely no um, evidence or counter arguments or nothing. No no like debate between ideas around lock. Nothing. Literally just delivering the messages that are coming from the government. Some of these messages have come from fucking Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> the government has literally announced lockdowns from Twitter. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing is, humans communicate not just with words that are written mm. or on a screen or words that are spoken. We communicate through our facial gestures. You know that. Memetics. We communicate through our feelings. Yeah. And so a horse, for, for example, a horse is a herd animal. It's a prey animal. It gets safety in numbers. And so what it does is it has a very strong pecking order. And if that, that way, the strongest gets to the top. Mm. And he, the stallion, looks out after the whole herd. So when you walk up to a horse, a horse identifies whether you're scared or not. Mm. If, it, if you're scared, and most people are when they walk into a horse, then it goes, shit, I, he's scared. Mm. And they can't have confidence in you. Mm. But if you're a confident rider, they go, oh, good. Mm. I can relax because he's looking after me. You know what I mean? So the thing is, our hearts, um, well, our, our can, brain... Yeah, we communicate with more than just words. Yeah, so if, if that's a piece of wire, you know this, that if there's electricity running through it, it has an electromagnetic field around it, mm -hmm. right? And that radiates out. With the brain, it runs on voltages and, and it's electrical. So it, it, it has an electromagnetic field out to about 10 or 12 inches. Yeah. The heart has an electromagnetic field out to 10 or 12 feet. So right now, you and I are engaging. And even if I gave you nice bullshitty words, mm. you could still pick up my real belief. Yeah. And sometimes people go, it goes from my heart to your heart, literally, yeah. and you pick up at your heart level and you say, he's confident or he's not confident or he's worried but yeah. your brain doesn't pick up the same thing your brain picks so there's, there's, yeah. then there's your brain is saying he's saying this but I don't believe him what's going on here yeah. so it's very important to understand that when, when these announcers exactly what you say they say something in the tone mm. there's nothing you can do to pick their words apart as being misleading or, or pushing one side but their tone is ramming one side down and then the next thing they say now we cross to some rabid anti-vaxxer protest going on in yeah, Sydney yeah. and they're just completely putting down their point of view yeah. and what they're doing is they're setting up us versus them and propagandists yeah. love that if you and I can be set up as a fight then the government can say he's right he's wrong mm, and that's what they them. want exactly yeah. and I mean even to, to speak on that um, you look at the freedom rallies that were held last weekend the only fucking media that come from that was a dude on a horse. <laughs> what did the rally stand for? Why were people there? Yeah. Really report on the numbers. This many people obviously care about freedom. Dude on a horse. So for anybody that is... I mean, I don't think people that listen to this podcast are people that essentially watch the news and believe the news. Um, but yeah, so there's some big issues on that front. Before we get into this, there's a lot to cover. Um, I would like to just get to know you a mm -hmm. little bit um i think that that's probably one of 
One of the biggest lessons I've learned by doing this podcast is that if you speak to anybody for three hours, you'll probably find out they're a pretty good person. And it's it's really, really, really hard to give somebody that much time and be genuinely interested in that person, who they are, their story. And then for any uh, grievances of opinion that you might have or anything like that, you've at least got some context as to where yeah. that person came from in their life. Everybody has an implicit personal bias that is completely inescapable. I'm speaking from a place of personal bias. My mm-hmm. views on COVID, my views on business, my views on freedom, they all come from a place of implicit personal bias that I cannot avoid. So yep. that's one thing that I've really tried to learn. And I think that by speaking to somebody, um, you know, not just based on their issues, but just who that person is. And I think that uh, I asked a, did like a question thing, which I don't normally do for podcasts, but a lot of people were just interested uh, as a politician in 2021. Like, why did you get into politics? Is <laughs> politics, um, you know, what you thought it would be? Do you have, you know, routines around self-care? You know, like normal people shit because the messaging, uh, you know, you've got a job to do, you're a politician by trade, essentially. Um, and, you know, it sort of doesn't make sense to fucking be out there telling everyone about your breakfast and shit. But, <laughs> you know, why did you get into politics? What was the, the drive there? And I guess what were you hoping to achieve? Um, so maybe just a little bit of that personal background would be kind of cool to get into. Sure. I, I'll give you my background so you can understand where, where I'm coming from. I was born in India when my parents were stationed really? over there. Yeah. Uh, my sister and were they brother. in the army? No, no. Or? My dad was um, managing coal mines and then selling coal mining equipment over there. Yeah. He was at Britain and he was helping the Indians. So you're a shill for Rio Tinto. Perfect. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so we came back to Australia when I was seven. Yeah. And I uh, went to. I, I've moved around a lot in my life as a, as a kid. Yeah. So I, I'm very comfortable. You can dump me in a bucket of shit and I'm comfortable straight away. You can yeah. give me, you know, introduce me to President Trump, President Trump, I'm comfortable straight away. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do to me. Um, so I've had that blessing and also had a blessing of being introduced to education through the Montessori philosophy of education. And not, we can talk about that later, but that was a big thing in, in my life. So I didn't realize that. Well, Maria Montessori was the first... Italian female engineering student. She had to fight to get in there. This was back in the 1880s. Mm. And Italy is very patriarchal, so mm-hmm. they suppressed the women. So she had to fight to get into engineering. After first year, she said, ah, I'm not too interested in engineering. I really want to do medicine. Another fight on hands because she was became Italy's first female medical student. And she had to fight to get in. She got in. And when she, gradu- when she graduated, she went to Italy, uh, to Naples rather, and worked with the poor people. And she developed. She's got. A, she had a phenomenal observation uh, skills. You know, very, very objective. And she studied these kids, and and quite a few of them were intellectually handicapped. But she thought if it can work with these, and so she she developed an understanding better than anyone. Else. I've never heard of anyone since who's done better than she has. She understands how humans go through planes of growth. For mm. three years, they you go through a plane of growth, and then you in, embody that. Then you go to the, the zero to three, three to six. Zero, uh, six to nine, nine to 12, 12 to 15, 15 to 18. And she's nailed it, absolutely nailed it. So what she did was she said, you can't educate people because you might be interested in someone, mm. in something now, and I'm not sensitive to that now, but I'll become sensitive to later. So all you have to do is put that out there 
So a Montessori classroom has all the shelves around the room with all their, um, uh, inst- not instruments, but people learn by, by touching and, and, and feeling. And so they can go and select something that interests them. And so what happens with Montessori kids is they, they learn to learn yeah. and they lo- learn to love to learn. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important. She also, I'm getting caught up here because I'm trying to get this out. It's no, so exciting. Fine. Oh, we got time. So, all right. Montessori also um, said, and she's absolutely right, and uh, she said that the critical years for the formation of both character and intellect, can you imagine that? Character and intellect are zero to six from birth to six. Yeah. And then you're pretty much locked in, and the rest of it is, is pretty much ingrained by the time you finish adolescence. And adolescence, our brains rewire, literally rewire themselves, myelinizing. And, and so adolescence is a very difficult period because you're also growing as a kid. Well, some of us grew. I didn't grow much. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so your, hand, your arms are getting long. Your legs are getting long. You're starting to get discoordinated because you've had 10 or 12 years with a, the much smaller body. And now yeah. all of a sudden you're shooting out everywhere. And so the brain goes through regrowth. But most of, the, most of the character and intellect is formed by the time you're six. So Hitler said it, give me the boy and I'll give you the man. Mm. The Jesuits said it, give me the boy and I'll give you the man. Yeah. So you get that indoctrination in early. And, and that's, that's what happens. So a lot of what we're seeing, we're conditioned to see. And we can talk about education later. In traditional education, it, it ingrains bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's worse than TV. So... So, so I got that through Italian nuns in Italy, in uh, India. They just happened to be Italian nuns there teaching the expats. So then we came to Australia, um, moved into central Queensland and uh, Hunter Valley. Yeah. And then I did um, engineering, did did an honours degree in engineering. And then yeah, when right. I graduated... What was the field that you are in? Mining. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, so in the, su- in the summer holidays, I used to work at the mines. And yeah. so afterwards I thought... This is really important. You know, I know from your background, that practical experience is really important. We don't master skills by, by our brain only and by reading stuff. We learn it by doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. Well, there's like an intellectual component and an experiential component. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that's the same in anything in life. I agree. And that's what Mont- the key, one of the keys to Montessori. It's the key to adult training. Yeah. Um, and so I just had four years of theory at uni. Mm. You know, and so I said to myself, okay, I want to work underground. So I worked underground at the coalface for about three years, different mines around the country because mines you can literally, there's no, um, mm. you know, with mechanical and electrical, you know what, it, what the characteristics are, what the characteristics of that are. But mining, you can literally be mining underground and within the space of a meter could go completely different conditions. Mm. You can kill people. So I wanted to work underground to get the practical experience. So I was in Coalface Minor for about three years. And then I decided um, to go to America and I worked from two very large companies over there. And I learned about different companies. And then I was so fascinated, mate, with the USA. It was just, I was just drawn to it. And so I went to- What's the most fascinating aspects of the United States for you? Oh, where do you start? Um, the biggest one is the positive approach that they used to have. I don't know if it's still there. The American dream. Yeah, not not just that, but um, yeah, I like your idea, Jess. Let's try it. Yeah and, yeah. and Winston Churchill said something like this. He said it better than I say it, but he said something like, you can count on American to fuck it up a few times, but each time they'll stand up, dust themselves down, yeah. fall flat on their face, they'll dust themselves down and say, give it another go. And eventually they'll get it. Yeah. 
and they'll get it before anyone else gets it. And that's what was really significant. I love that positive approach. You know, in America, they can say, let's build a railway line across the country, transcontinental railway. Yeah. In Australia, we'd say, there are no people there. Yeah. The Americans will say, no, but they'll come because the trails are split up, you know? Yeah. Um, that was one of the biggest things that blew me away when I, when I lived in America was the first time I drove to Vegas. And you go from, I lived in California, yeah. you go to Vegas, and then you drive down this highway, and then you go, wait, this is the desert. <laughs> like, why do people live here? How is there a city here? And you, you are right. Like, that's an American attitude. They're just like, bang, this is, this is Las Vegas, Nevada. This is where it's going to be. And then they just build a city. They just make the shit happen. It's summarized by, uh, I get goosebumps, I'm starting to get a bit teary. Um I was in America and I saw a, a poster and I, it's in my office at, at the uh, parliamentary office in Brisbane. It's about so big. It's a proper poster and it's got a picture of the moon and you can see that it's taken from the lunar la- or through the legs of the lunar lander. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's got on it um, the decision to go to the moon. Oh, no, no, it hasn't got that. Kennedy, Ken- that's right, John F. Kennedy, before he commissioned the NASA to, to get a man on the moon, he said to NASA in 61 or whenever it was, what are the chances? And remember, the Russians had just put a man in space, the first ones to do yeah, so. So yeah. they were terrified that the Russians were going to head, head in technology. So he said to NASA, what's the possibility of getting a man on the moon and bringing him home safely by the end of the decade? <sighs> Can't get over it. He turned around and NASA didn't come back and said, yes, we can do it or no, it's impossible. They said, we have a sporting chance. Can you imagine that? A government bureaucracy saying yeah. those words. And Kennedy said, right. Let's go. Go. Yeah. And that 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 embodies what America does. It, yeah. it just says, yeah, we've got a chance. Let's yeah. give it a go. And we'll we'll bugger it up along the way, but we'll still give it a go. Yeah. And we'll get it. And that, that used to be in America. It's, it's not in the top levels of America anymore. And that's sadness in my opinion. Yeah. So you spend this time. I, I completely agree with you, by the way. Um, you spend this time in the mines, then you go and spend this time in America. Um, when you finished in America and you moved back home, what's the transition into politics and why did you oh, care? So I worked uh, worked in the mines in, in Australia as um, as an engineer and then, then got into management quickly. I don't like engineering. I like the discipline of it, but I don't like crunching numbers all the time. So I, it was a way to get into management much more quickly. So I, I rose through management ranks very, very quickly. And then I got tired of bean counters telling me how to run mines from corporate office. So I said, if you can't beat them, join them. So I did an MBA at the University of Chicago. Yeah. And then um, I had a couple of jobs lined up in the States. And a, an American company with an op- Australian operations formed a joint venture with some Japanese and Australians. And they headhunted me and got me back to Australia. And it was an amazing experience. But the corporate management changed in America. And that's one of the things, Americans have got phenomenal corporate leadership in a few companies and atrocious in others. Mm. So when this this company came uh, to Australia, it had really good corporate management in LA. And then uh, soon after I joined, it changed the corporate management and they really wrecked it. But anyway, so we did some phenomenal things and I loved, what I loved about work was setting people free. Mm. You know, most of us don't think we can do what what we really are capable of. And so people get suppressed right from life, from ed- early education onwards. And I love to turn people free. So that that's what I, I, I did in central Queensland. We did some amazing things, even by world standards. 
Um, but then the corporate management changed and I knew that I would not last long there because I tend to tell what I think. Mm. And, and if you ask me a question and it's going to upset you, I'll still give you the answer. Mm. So, um, so I then formed my own little business and helped people improve the way they lead their people and lead their businesses. And then I got... Um, uh, so being in, in underground coal mining, you've got to be responsible for the ventilation, taking air down a mine, ventilating... Uh, vent- ventilating where the men and women are working and so you've got to understand atmospheric gases and then about 2005 I, I was taken to New Zealand and turned around a, a business over there one of their most difficult mines and we were 12 months in New Zealand we loved it but anyway my wife and I and the kids when I came back I was hearing this stuff about climate and I thought this doesn't make sense because we were being told that our carbon dioxide which we're exhaling all the time is destroying the planet <clears throat> It doesn't make sense. Mm. But then I thought, who's little old me with all these hundreds of politicians and thousands of scientists telling us the reverse? And I said, no, it still doesn't make sense. So I started researching it and I found out it was bullshit. But then I still said, who's, who's little old me to counter all these thousands of scientists and thousands of politicians? And then I started speaking up about it and started talking to eminent scientists about it. And then I found out there weren't thousands of scientists. There were just a handful and they were bullshit artists. Mm. And it was orchestrated by Maurice Strong in the, in the United States, who was a Canadian who worked in the UN, rose to the very top levels of the UN. That's another story. But then I realized the politicians are godless because they follow like sheep, absolutely like sheep. Parliament is just two flocks of sheep mm-hmm. with a couple of power brokers controlling them. And they say basically to, to um, senators and uh, members of parliament in the lower house, Jace, if you want to be pre-selected next time, in other words, if you want to keep your job here, mm-hmm. you will vote this way. So to so me... So pre-selections is a big problem that we have in Australia. It's something correct. I want, to, I want to touch on that a bit Correct. Later. So what, we, what people think is that Parliament looks after us. That is bullshit. Yeah. Parliament looks after vested interests who are put there by donations from major corporate players, many of them international, um, and then the government then does, and the Labor Party and Liberal Party are both doing the work of their bidders. Yeah. And so, you know, every speech I've done in the in the Parliament, I have said, and usually I start it with these words: "As a servant to the people of Queensland and Australia, mm. you elected, whether you voted for me or not, doesn't matter. The people elected me. My job is to serve you." When I first uttered those words in my first speech, I got people on both sides of politics laughing at me. That's the fundamental job. Yeah. You know, I was That's stunned. the ground floor. Yeah. I mean, and, and so what we've got now, I don't know how we got to this point, but anyway, what we've got um, is we've got a parliament that thinks the people serve it. Yes. I, can, I feel that as a person. I feel that as an Australian. And then what happens, Jace, is, you know, I've, I've handed out how to vote cards at a polling booth many times. So you see people rock up and you're handing out a how to vote card and they say, Oh, fuck. We've got to vote again. Mm. When was the last time you voted? Four years ago? Three years ago? It's not a big deal. Mm. It's like 10 minutes of your time, half an hour to drive there and go home. Then you're affecting your taxation, what you keep in your pocket, your employment chances, the quality of your life, the quality of education, quality of health system. And look at the fuck up we've got around us now. All of those things are affected by you because the way you vote. So if you walk up there and say, oh, what's it matter? You're, you're wrecking your country. So then, then after the votes uh, close at 6 p.m., 
we tally. Well, I don't tally, but we can scrutineer, right? So I'm standing over the, the shoulders watching to make sure they don't count the votes wrongly. Mm. And then you see pictures of, of a big dick with some balls on it, you know? And, and or pictures with... Um, JB. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you've got, uh, you know, go and get fucked or none of you politicians are worth it. You're all a bunch of, yeah. you know, so, um, so I'm thinking the same people, us, the population, we the population, we the voters are saying politics sucks. It doesn't look after me. The voting's all wrong. It's You got did a, it. Yeah, yeah. You did it. So... We get well, the politicians well, to, to to an extent though, because from the research that I've done for this podcast, uh, government bureaucrats write their own laws, regardless of who gets voted in, and regardless nailed it. So that's the problem, right? So what you've what you've said is so true. I cannot disagree with that. I myself in the past have been a person that has filled nothing out on my. Uh, ballot. I'm also a person that has copped multiple fines for not voting. Guilty. I will never be doing that again. Ever. <laughs> Good. Ever. Because that 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 is the problem though, right? There's, there's cause and effect. Something has caused the Australian population to want to draw dicks on their ballot papers. There's there's a cause there, Easy. right? So we we we've got a we've got a two part problem here for me. We a, people need to get involved. I personally will be voting in every single election from now until the fucking day I die. Good on you. Yes. And that's one problem. I also need to have the Constitution uh, reworked so that there are safeguards in place that when government bureaucrats and politicians write laws that make me feel like my vote doesn't count, that there's some checks and balances involved. So what you said is exactly right, but we have a twofold problem there. Well, the st- problem still comes back to we the voters. Yes. Because um, you're right, the bureaucrats do a lot of the lot of the the damage, and and they do a lot of the stuff. They bring in stuff from overseas, so we're run by people from overseas, effectively. What America? Let's go back to America, and then I'll, then I'll talk about that again. What I loved about America, you know. Um, they had not just one or two incredibly talented people when their mm. country was formed, the founding fathers of their country. They had 20 of the bastards. You know, Benjamin Franklin, um, Thomas Jefferson. You can just rattle them off. And their influence was huge. And what they did was they looked at Europe and said, That's a shit fight. We don't want that. Yeah. And what are the key things we don't want? We don't want a central government. So, and the second thing we, we don't want is we don't want privately owned central banks. The Bank of England was privately owned. The, the German bank was privately owned. We don't want central banks privately owned controlling governments because that's mm. what was happening. Yeah. So they set up a federation. They had the, the, 13 the colonies, Reserve. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Federal Reserve's privately owned in America. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, so anyway, and, and that, that explains, we can talk about that because there's a real interesting story there. So um, so what they did was they set up 13 independent sovereign states when they had their um, revolution. Yeah. So you had the Commonwealth of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Connecticut, the, I don't know what it was, Pennsylvania, um, state of New York, yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and so on. They had these 13. They came together and they said, right, in the Constitution, the majority of stuff that the people need, that the government has to provide, you will do it. The states will do it. Yeah. 
and it was called competitive federalism. So if Kentucky forms a better way of, of using its tax and minimizing tax and being more efficient, it forces people to to go to Kentucky so the other states lose them, yeah, right? Yeah. So then the other states go, we can't... it's the free market. Yes, it's a, it's a market in governance, yeah, okay? Yeah. So the second thing they, they said was only the Congress can issue currency. Yeah. Right? So... What happened over time was the big bankers in, in, in Europe who controlled world finances, they could see that America was going to be phenomenally rich, phenomenally rich. And so they tried to get control. So even Jefferson, who was very, very strong about not giving the central banks any power, he relented and he gave uh, the charter of the – he didn't give it. Hamilton, I think, gave it – the charter of the first central bank to a privately owned bank. Yeah. And after 20 years, they tore it up and said, bugger off, we don't want you again. Straight away, the same banks tried to get it back again, and they got the second Central Bank of America. And Andrew Jackson survived an assassination attempt to tear apart that, that privately owned Central Bank again. Then as soon as he did that, and it became, became government again, as soon as he did that, they started working on it again, and they formed the Federal Reserve Bank in 1913. Yeah. They also got uh, taxation powers, which many Americans believe are unconstitutional, but they got it stuck in there. There's significant points going on. So what happened then was they got a privately owned bank. So, Jace, I'll give you an option as a government. You can print money, issue money, or you can come and borrow it from me, a central bank, and you'll pay interest. The taxpayers pay interest. What are you going to do? I don't know. And I'll print money. don't know. Bloody obvious. You can get the money and you can print it yourself mm. and pay no interest, or you can get me to print the money and, and pay, pay interest. interest yeah. You're not going to come to me yeah. if you're really looking after people. But the, but the Congress and, and people in Congress spoke out about this in nine, leading up to 1913. But then 1913, they still got that through the banks because they did it just on Christmas. Many of the congressmen and senators mm. left for their Christmas recess they pushed it through in the dead of the night, and the president, who was a toady, Woodrow Wilson, was a toady for the for the banks. He signed it. Mm. That's how they got their privately owned central bank. Yeah. Now, the the important thing is that Australians, when we went when we were developing our constitution, we looked at the best in the world. We went around the world and looked at it. Yeah. The best in the world was the Yanks, but it wasn't perfect. Yeah. Because already they could see that the, that they're starting to centralize the power, so they came up with a competitive federalism as well. A marketplace and governance, which is I've never heard anyone else say that. I've, I've been the only one to say that. That's, that's exactly what happens. So the, the free market to me is basically the foundation of freedom. The the, the oh, you're wonderful. The, yes, the free market extends to the free market in the way that you think about capitalism. The free market extends to the free market of ideas. Yes. The free market should extend to uh, states in the, in the way that, that you just said. The, yeah, the free... Well, I think that is ideas. And I think that yep. this is something that we'll probably get into a little bit more. But I personally believe that you beat a bad idea with a better idea. That's it. Nailed it. That is, that's the problem that yep. we face. So if that's you, why control freaks detest freedom exactly, and that that's why you're and and for me right. So we'll we'll get into the COVID stuff, but this has stopped being about COVID for me. This is I don't give a fuck about COVID now. The argument I can't have an argument about COVID until I sit square with somebody and say, 
hey, where do we sit on personal liberty? Where do we sit on, on sovereignty and freedom? Because if we're not on the same page there, I can't talk to you about anything. I can't talk to you about vaccines. I can't talk to you about border closures. I can't talk to you about anything if you don't agree that I am a free individual. And that's not the conversation that has been happening now. And I I just, I, I cannot get on board with any fucking legislation of any point while I'm sitting here as just a solo dude on the Gold Coast being like, hmm, don't feel free. I get my shit taken down on Instagram. I can't travel to uh, Tweed Heads. You know, that's the fucking border is 20 minutes from me, from my house. That is an imaginary line in the ground that for the last 30 years, I have not based my life around at all. The only significance that the Queensland and New South Wales border plays in my life is three games of football a year. That's it. And <laughs> and trust me, I, I know I am blessed to be in Queensland. I cannot imagine having to go through this living in Sydney or Melbourne. I have friends in Melbourne who have spent over 215 days in lockdown, essentially on house arrest with children. So I personally think that the free market, like as people living in the West, in free societies, the free market economy, the free market of ideas, the free market of government, they are the cornerstones that we have to protect and until we are on the same page and having a conversation in a place that like it's called unalienable rights if we can't agree on my unalienable rights as a human i cannot have a conversation with you anymore i don't need to say a damn thing you just said it i will just add one thing i'm not going to sit back and i'm sure you didn't didn't imply this because you're doing this uh, I'm not going to sit back and recognize that and do nothing. Mm. That's what drove me into politics. Okay. So the issue that I was facing was the bullshit we were being told about climate. There is absolutely no data. We've, I've got a, an incredibly um, intelligent and competent um, person and in, in colleague in Canberra, who, near Canberra, who's a, who's a privateer, right? He's not part of the bureaucracy. But he does so much voluntary work. And by the way, you'll find people all over this country working their asses off, volunteering, and the stuff that they're fighting on is stuff the government is imposing. Mm. You've got thousands of people all over the country working on these issues. Anyway, he, he's assembled – he's an absolute amazing guy with um, computers. No ego, completely objective, loves an argument, but doesn't get heated up about it, just wants an exchange, a debate, mm. exactly what you said – and he's got he's gone in and got 24,000 different databases on climate and energy got them off legitimate sites called up uh, scientists who've written peer reviewed papers and said can i get your data 24,000 there is not so a he's s- doing like a meta analysis over those yes yeah. he does meta analysis he does the, yeah. the raw data himself and he, and he's he's the, i've never seen a person with it, with his his brain he goes and says, I need to brush up my stats. So then he'll start researching different ways of analyzing. Next thing, he's got four or five different ways of chopping up the data. All done on his computer. He pushes a button on his computer and up it comes. So you want to have a look at this, compare it with something else, up it comes. Yeah. He can just do it like that. He's just phenomenal. And no ego. He's a delight to work with. And so, so there's no evidence anywhere for this bullshit. There's nothing happening in climate. 
we can go into that in more detail later, but that's not the point of what we're talking about now with COVID. But what, I, what I'm getting to is that the government has been manipulated to tell us there's something happening because it's... It's, it's then, within certain people's interests. Correct. We're talking not about billions of dollars here. We're talking about trillions of dollars. Mm. And so if you, if you stop to think about it, Jace, there are two things that we're told by the government's going to kill us. Climate and COVID. Mm. They're both invisible. Both are invisible. And so we talk more about the details of them later. But what, what's happening is that we're being manipulated into that. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a quote while it's in my head. Um, it's in this book. I actually couldn't find it. Uh, but it says, men don't want to be uh, free. They just don't want to be scared, essentially. So, I've never heard of that. That's a ripper. Yeah, I'll try and find it in the actual book itself. But yeah, it's a men. men um, yeah, true men don't value freedom. They just don't want to feel fear. So, yep. uh, and I think that that's prob- one of the things that we're kind of seeing um, is that it looks like there's a, a fear business being generated and people are willing to hand over rights essentially to the government based on that fear. And that fear is just propagated through, and again, that kind of comes back to my point about social media is that everyone's got a voice. Everyone can share a story. There's people that share good shit. There's people that share bad shit. All of it just adds to this fucking noise. Uh, and it just, it it perpetuates this fear. And then you get the government that is trying to tell you that they've got the antidote to fear, that they've got your back. Listen to the government. You're going to have to give give away some of these freedoms, but we've got your back. What? My, this was my grandma said to me the other night. This is how fucked up this is, right? We were watching a documentary on Hitler, right? Having dinner. I said to her, we got to turn the news off. We put on the History Channel. There's a documentary on Hitler. And uh, and we're sitting there and I went through this argument. I've got this analogy, which I'll share with you uh, soon. And then she's, she just, the bottom floor of it was like, look, I just think we should do what the government says. The government has our back. She fucking said this to me point blank. <laughs> While we're watching a documentary of fucking Hitler, yeah. that dude was the government. Yeah, the dude was the government. I'm just like, can you not see that there is a healthy level of skepticism that every single individual of every single country should hold towards their government? There has to be this very, very like. Uh, eagerly maintained balance between uh, like appreciation and trust in the government and then healthy skepticism that cannot ever just erode completely because you're scared of COVID or global warming or any of the things uh, personally I haven't looked into global warming to have uh, an informed opinion so it's a place I don't particularly want to go yeah but there it, it's it's this fear that, that has been generated to the point where if the gener- if the government generates enough fear, then you get people like my grandma that willingly will give up their rights to the government in exchange for protection, essentially. That's the barter that they're, they're trying to make. On the hope that the government will then give back those rights, which never happens, ever. You never get given back rights once they're gone away. When the government mandates wearing seatbelts, has there ever been... Does anybody ever think... And I'm not saying that we should ever get 
be told that we can't can't wear seatbelts. I'm not advocating for that. But it's like every single law that gets made. Mm-hmm. It's like, when does it get reversed? Ever. The the litigation that you have to go through to reverse a law. Like if these vaccine passports come in, who the fuck does the litigation to reverse that law? Once that law's in, who does the litigation? How do we get it back? I don't know how to get it back. I can't get it back. How do I get it back? Say, you can't take it in the first place. Exactly. You've got an amazing mind. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to finish off without going on to the, the climate stuff. I just want to say that I don't rely on my cousin, who's my colleague in, in Canberra, with his 24,000 data sets and an amazing brain. He's been given an Australian Order of Australia for his, for his research wow. capabilities. Okay, so, But that's not it. What, I, what I've done is I've held the CSIRO accountable on these things. They have not been able to come up with any evidence. And what's more, and we can go into that some other time, but they've not only not come up with any evidence, after 50 years of so-called research on climate, they gave me one paper on temperatures mm. justifying their position and the government's position. One paper. Mm. And the bloody lead author of that paper admits you can't rely on the temperatures for the 20th century. Well, I feel like there was an ice age. Yes. But anyway. it seems like the world was super cold and then it's gradually got warmer from being completely frozen. So just set that aside. So no one has ever produced any evidence. And I've challenged people to debate me on this, challenged the major parties and politicians to debate me on this. They all run a mile. Mm -hmm. I've challenged the top so-called scientists who are just freeloaders off this government grants. They won't debate me on it. And so we have been driven by fear because exactly what your second point was, no one has been sceptical. And it is your right and your duty. What's your responsibility? Exactly. If, if, If you're a scientist, okay, and you come up, and I've tested this with some pretty good climate scientists who, who agree with me entirely, but what, what I say to them is the first duty, say, say you come up with a theory and you say, as a scientist, and you say, you give me your theory and you tell me what the conclusions are. My first job is to say, give me your data. Show me the data. Give me your, the- your calculations. That's why they peer review papers. Well, they don't actually peer review them. Mm. They buddy review them. Yeah, they get their yeah, buddies true. to do it. Okay, it's not peer reviewed. It's not reviewed. It's it's buddy reviewed. Theoretically, it should be peer correct. Reviewed. Correct. But my first job, my first duty is to say, give me your data, give me your algorithms, give me the, all your workings you've had, and my job is to tear yours to bits. At the end of the day, I go, Whew, I can't do it. Mm. You're legitimized. Mm. But if I find one thing wrong in there. Or if I find the whole damn thing should be tossed out, you should be happy because then I've just, ad- I've just enhanced understanding of the planet and the way the nature works. And science is a verb. Science is, there's no... It's, Correct. For it's me, a it's, process. Yeah, it's not a noun. It's not like this is science. This is what we don't know anything. What we know what we are working on is knowing more than what we already know we don't know anything there is there i mean i could kind of go down a rabbit hole on this but like (laughs) you could you can ask anybody like the science is the best information we have right now that information like the the fucking timeline of of you know space and time is just continuing so that statement that i just said new information has already been presented to us you have to remain skeptical like that is the role of science. Well, see, see these things. Mobile phone. That wasn't around 20 years ago. Mm. I think that came out 2008, something like this, the Apple iPhone. 
Look what it's done. Mm. That wasn't around. If I wanted to get music, say 100 years ago, I would have had to get an orchestra. Yeah, you would have to hire a band. Yeah. And then someone come up with the gramophone or the uh, record player, right? Clunky big thing. And then they wanted to get better sound, so they came up with better speakers. That does it with a pair of headphones. And, and that doesn't happen if you go like, hey, this is the best we've got. No. And then it just stops. No. It's a that, verb. That's a result of science. Um, do you know, Jace, a typical king or queen 200 years ago would not have lived as well as a person on welfare today. 100%. Not as long, not as easy, not as comfortable, not as well fed not as well looked after in terms of health, not, nothing like the health capabilities. They would have had their teeth falling out by the time they're 40. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't have had the entertainment. They wouldn't have had the options. Their they child have... mortality rate would have been, yeah. you know, like maybe one in fucking four probably. Yeah, and, and if, you, if you were born in a valley in Wales, that's where you stayed. Mm-hmm. And to get a job, you had to go and appeal to the person who, who was the big employer in your valley. What, what chance have you got then of getting better conditions? You've got mm. bugger all because... But now, if I don't like the way you're working, uh, you're employing me, I say, screw you, mate. I'm going to drive 100 kilometres away every day and get my job there. Mm. So there's so much choice. And you can't do that if you don't have a car. Mm. And you can't do it if you don't have a telephone. These are the things that really matter. They all came from science saying exactly what you're saying. Mm. This is our knowledge now. Is there a better way of doing it? How do we understand things like that? So that's you ex- And you can't take anything to be true, unequivocally true. It's as true as it could possibly be right now. The sun goes around, the earth goes around the sun. That's pretty true. Yes, that is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, but yeah, you can do the science to a point where you can, uh, I guess, get. You can you can come to you can come to some pretty heavy conclusions. It's something that can be just tested and tested and tested and tested and tested to, to the same outcome, right? But when you're looking at something like a airborne virus like COVID nineteen, I mean we've oh. we've seen it's just yep. it's been such a um it's really just been like such a whirlwind of development, you know, and and so many contradictions. And and the problem is is like I am okay with that. I'm okay with the government being wrong initially. I'm Same okay. Here. Yeah, I'm okay. Like I don't I don't need right. I just need like honest, honestly as good as we've got right now. I, d- I don't need I don't need you to be right all the fucking time. It's okay to be wrong. As long as you are honest and transparent uh, about the dealings and you provide people like you go, "Hey, this is the evidence we've got right now. This is the best we've got." At one point masks weren't like the world health organization has said that masks won't help then they would help now masks are mandatory you know what i mean so there is just this constant shifting landscape of the science uh and it just it seems like information is being withheld um it is and things that you know you can kind of do your own research um and you know find a myriad of studies that will give you uh, counter information to what the government is essentially like pushing as concrete fact. Let, let's let's to get to the root cause. I mean, I can see your brain works wonderfully, and you're going across so many topics. Let's go to the root cause. All right, because we just talked about science, and you need to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. That's your duty as a scientist. You need to be skeptical of what the government does. Parliamentarians should be skeptical of what the government does. Parliament doesn't hold government accountable anymore. 
Mm. It just doesn't work because it's not there to serve the people. Mm. So let's let's go back because government has, has been hijacked. Parliament has been hijacked. So let's go back right down into the guts of it all. Throughout history, people, and it's, an, it's, an, it's, it's a natural thing, if you could get a horse to do your work for you, to plough the field, yeah, all right, you're yeah, going to get it. 100%. Right? We, we want to go through life. We're, we're animals at heart, but we're also pretty gifted animals. Yeah. We want to go through life making life easier. And so what we do is it doesn't matter if you're a mechanic, a school teacher, a hair cutting, cutting hair or you're serving hamburgers. You will constantly be thinking about how do I do this thing quicker? How do I do this thing more easily? How do I do this thing more cheaply? It's constant. It's, it's fundamental to humans, right? That's why we've improved. And we've got this neocortex which no, one else, no other species has. And that's what enables us to go through rationally and observe science. So right throughout history... We've also got something else, and that's this thing called control and ego. Married with, it's, it's so many contradictions in humans. Mate, if, if, if there was a kitten came in here limping, I'll guarantee you would pick it up and take it to the vet mm-hmm. because we care. And the, the sheer fact is evolution is, is correct, and what happens is the, the genes that get passed on are the ones that are most successful. Mm-hmm. You are only here... Because in the first couple of years of your life, someone cared for you. Mm-hmm. You might have had a parent that bashed you. You might have had a parent that bullied you. You might have had a parent that slandered you. But you're still bloody here. Mm-hmm. They cared for you, right? So that's fundamental. So if you don't get cared for, your Marriage. genes don't get yeah. passed on. Yeah. So the caring gene got passed on. Humans care for people. That's the first thing. The second thing is we've got an ego, you weren't born Jace. I wasn't born Malcolm. We created that barrier ego. And my entity that, that I created is, is this body. I attach a name called Malcolm to it. Mm-hmm. And some people want to be good and look good and, and sort of appear to be good. Or they want to be known as the, the best writer in the world. Or they want to be known as the, the developer of some new science. That's bullshit. Because that's attaching something to me. Mm. What your opinion of as me, what's the old saying? What do you think of me is none of my business, mm-hmm. right? I should be just existing as I am and be satisfied with that. It's called lack of value judgments. So, but what happens is ego takes hold of many, many people. And our battle in life, I believe, is about ending the ego so we can really get down to who we really are. Do you meditate? Yes, Every day, an hour and a quarter. I'd love to do it two hours, but I've got to spend some time with my wife. What what sort of? Uh, I get where are you at v- with vipassana like, meditation? Okay, and where are you stand on non duality? What's non duality? Uh, well, I guess um, how the it's like subject object um, relationship of the world. So like here in I, I'm, I'm I'm of the world. Yeah. I'm not part of the world, I'm of the world. Yeah, yeah. And and we're of the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you you think you you can you feel like that your conscious experience uh is in like separate to Malcolm. Like you you think that that like there's a bit of a difference going on there in terms of like who you really are. Yeah, my concept of Malcolm is very very limiting. Yeah. Very limiting. There's a there's a stronger thing going on. 
I was going to say in, but it's not in. It's throughout. Yeah. It's it's the spirit of the universe. Call it what you want. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm fully on board. Okay. So uh, where were we? Oh yeah. So so the ego takes hold. So I've got to be in charge of a a big company. Mm. I've got to have the word CEO after my name. I've got to have the word senator in front of my name. I've got to have MP after my name. I've got to be governor or whatever it is. Bullshit. So what happens though is. To, to make my life easier, which is a natural human trait because it's linked to improvement, yeah. to make my control better because I'm a, I'm a fearful person. The moment you have ego, you have fear, subtly, deep down. So, so I'm, I'm terrified. So what I do then is I try to control people. To make my life easier, I'll say, I'll make you a slave. Mm. And if you don't become a slave, I'll kill your wife or I'll kill you. I'll point a gun in your face, right? So you become my slave. Because in the early years of your life, you were conditioned to not being um, as good as other people, which is what most of us were conditioned to. I was conditioned to be cocky or whatever. So I get that, that vibe my, and you can pick it up in me. So I dominate you. And you work your life to make my life easier. That's happened throughout history. Mm-hmm. Or we get a horse to do a plow our fields for us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to exploit animals anymore because we've got the internal combustion engine yeah. and we've got electricity. Or what I might do is I might be a feudal baron and I might say, Jace, you can, you can have a garden over here to look after your family. You can eke out a living and I get you to eke out a living and I keep you deliberately poised because if you get any more, you'll put some away and you're not dependent on me anymore. So what I do is I take most of what you produce for me and I sell it mm-hmm. and I get wealthier and wealthier. Or on the other hand, I form a company and I employ you so I might employ you at, say, 40 bucks an hour. You're happy. You're exchanging your labor, your service, your ideas for 40 bucks an hour. You're happy. I can sell the produce that you helped me make for, say, 60 bucks an hour. My customers are happy because they're getting a good deal. Everyone's happy. I'm making profit. That's not exploitation. Because I'm giving you a job, I'm taking the risk with my money and investing in the company. And there's just a, an agreement. And you've there got, is an agreement. And you've got freedom and agency to choose to either enter into that agreement or not. Got it. So if, if I start ripping you off by saying, Jace, I'm going to start paying you 30 bucks from now, and you can say, fuck you, I'm out of here, and you go down the road. Who's paying 40 bucks an hour? So I'm not going to do that. For looking after my own interest. The fundamental thing that drives every single behavior of every single person is needs. Mm-hmm. And one of our needs is to care for others. One of our needs is to, is to be considerate. So it's not about ruthless dog eat dog. Humans are very caring. So anyway, we now get now I start getting to be an ego problem. So I start saying, shit, I'm going to knock him back to twenty bucks an hour. I'll make more money. I'll go and buy a Merc instead of my Holden, or I'll start ripping off my customers and start charging them a hundred dollars for the same thing. Next thing, you're getting twenty bucks an hour, and I'm getting a hundred bucks for the same thing. But that's when the free market. That's exactly it. That's what the free market. But if I can then go and lean on the government and say, hey, government, I'll give you some donations to your political party. Can you change the laws to suit me? Then you, as my employee, are perpetually pissed. Yes, it is. It's called lobbying. I'm perpetually pissed off. You're disgruntled because you can't move, whatever. Mm. And and the marketplace, there's no no competitors allowed to Malcolm Roberts Corporation. So you've got to keep paying 100 bucks. Every damn monopoly in the world is government-created, government-sanctioned. Every single one of them. Well, it has to be. Of course it is. 
because if there was a free market, it'd be destroyed. Exactly. And you can't say, oh, well, what about Bill Gates? You know, he came up with a wonderful invention. He did. But if he didn't have that, didn't have that government-sanctioned monopoly, he wouldn't have been able to. He wouldn't have been able to suppress competitors. Mm. And so that's what happens. And so what we've got then is government starting to control people, but not controlling people for the sake of controlling, other than people like Hitler and Stalin, controlling people for other people's sake, mm. for the vested interest, for the donors. And so that's how government has been hijacked. Now the simple thing happens. I created bullshit law as a government to keep your competitors down, to look after you. The moment I do that one law, mm. your, your competitors come around and they start finding loopholes in it. So I've got to put a Band-Aid on it. Then they find more loopholes. I've got to put another Band-Aid. Next thing, we've got laws coming out of every orifice in our body. Yeah. And that's what's wrecked the tape. joint. Yeah. Yeah, and so then... And you don't have to be, again, I can give you a... I don't know shit. I can give you a real no, world you know example. Mate. <laughs> I can give you a real world example right now. Bunnings. Bunnings. Bunnings can stay open. Yep. What about the fucking little mum and pop hardware store that doesn't get to stay open? Family shut down, but we can have the footballers playing football games. Have, oh, I'm, you 100% have read Animal Jeez. Farm. Yes. George Orwell. I can't remember it all, but go on. All animals are equal. But some animals are more equal than others. Yep. And that's exactly what we're seeing in 2021. And it, this is the shit that kind of starts to alarm you when you are a student of history and you, you do read these kind of uh, classic novels that millions of people across the world have read. And there was a weekend. This is so, this is, this is something that hits home for me personally um, in terms of the industry that I'm in, right? Todd Waters, right there. Australian motocross champion, stood on the podium of a moto um, MXGP race uh, in Europe. He's one of our best riders we've ever had out of Australia. He is a professional athlete in every single sense of the word professional athlete, right? On the fucking same weekend that there was a football game being played, he was trying to race for the Queensland Championship in Coulomb. Lockdowns got announced. He can't do his job. He's lost his ability to make an income as a professional athlete. And you see NRL players, AFL, no disrespect to those guys. They're just doing their job. They're mm -hmm. not making the laws. But we are seeing those inconsistencies. Bunnings is staying open. Mum and pop shops are forcing to be closed down. So we are... Si like So... And for anyone that hasn't read Animal Farm, go and read it. It's mm. a, a quite a short book. It's basically a depiction of Stalin's uh, Soviet Union. Um, but the animals overthrow the old Tsar kingdom, uh, which was the uh, human owners of the farm. They take over the farm. The pigs are the most intelligent people on the farm. Um, so they are the ones that say, because we're the smartest, we will help divvy out the work. You guys will do the work. All animals are equal is what was written on the side of the barn at Animal Farm. And as you get through the book, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And it was a cautionary tale of what happens when you have that mentality. When you start off saying, we're all in this together, everybody's equal. Well, these people are just a tad bit more equal. And that's where we're living right now. And, and then, then we're, not only do we get regulations on regulations on regulations, but we get bullshit on bullshit on bullshit. When this COVID first arrived, we were told that well, there weren't any masks. We were told, don't worry about masks. They're not important. They don't affect this virus. The World Health Organization 
told us that. Well, the World Health Organization told us a few other lies up front, but um, that's what we were told. When the mask came down, then then when the masks increased in, in, in availability, you must wear them. They're absolutely essential. The masks, I wish I had one here. The masks are just form of conditioning and perpetuating fear. Mm. You walk out into Brisbane Street and you see other people in masks, straight away you go, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. They're, con- they're a form of conditioning. That's all they are. Mm. They're a form of conditioning. And they're meant well, they, to keep well, they, you in perpetual fear. And they, they kill emotion. And and it's what you said at the start of this. Like We communicate with a lot more than just words. Yep. You can't see people's expressions. You can't see smiles. Like I've been out walking... Uh, my dog um, also there's a quote in here I'll just read there's a couple cool quotes I wanted to kind of read out but um, essentially Martin Luther King um, had a quote I'm probably going to fucking butcher trying to find any of this shit now he had many good quotes basically Martin Luther King um, encouraged people to not wear not 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 wear masks, but to um, basically ignore bullshit legislation. That's that's the way that you show. He called it civil disobedience. Um, so I've kind of been engaging in a little bit of my own civil disobedience. Um, and I've got to be careful on that. Yeah, you, yeah because be I careful. make laws, so therefore I can't be a hypocrite mm. and make laws in Parliament. I don't make laws, and, and then then no, I know, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and 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 the American. We've got the uh, my wife's a, a, a yank, but I actually got a huge. Um, poster, huge poster of the American Declaration of Independence, one yeah. of the most important documents ever produced. And in that, it basically says, if the government's screwing you, yeah. it is your duty to yeah. overthrow the government. Now, my my duty believes, my my belief is that Parliament has the Declaration the first duty. of Independence ah, includes these three major ideas. One, people have certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Two, all men are created equal. Three, individuals have a civic duty to defend yep. these rights for themselves and others. The key three points of the Declaration of Independence. Yep. I've been saying many times in, in the Senate, um, in Parliament, I say government has three roles. Protect life, protect property, protect freedom. Yep. Government in this country now and in America is destroying all three. It's killing people, it's stealing property, and it's destroying freedom and so when we have that um then we have we have an absolute duty to to overthrow the government now what i say to first of all to people is that as a senator i will comply with the laws so i won't stop wearing masks but i'm working now in working out how to get rid of those masks so that's my duty Mm. um on the other hand we also have a duty to vote and that's the way to change the government Mm. but the first thing we have to do Jace, is we have to understand that we've been conditioned. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer little old Jace who says, oh, or little old Malcolm, we, you know, we, we, we are only we, one person. Yeah, how could I do anything? No, exactly. We've got to say, okay, I've got to speak up. I've got to tell my families. I've got to listen to my friends, tell my friends, tell my, tell my co-workers, uh, tell my football club work, uh, volunteers. Tell them all about what's going on, what I think. And when they say, oh, you're just an anti-vaxxer or you're a conspiracy theorist or whatever, say, fuck you. That's your opinion. Don't give me a label. You, you haven't got an argument. Yeah, but that- see, this is where I come back to, again, the free market is that a better idea beats a bad idea. Correct. And so, Fundamental to freedom. Yeah. So let's get into some stuff. I've got a bit of an analogy. So this is something that I have been thinking about um, as a person that's trying to be a responsible adult in 2021 right 
Um, so essentially, we get fully into like the COVID side of things now. Okay. So my um, there's a virus that has the potential of infecting me. It has uh, potential to kill me. I've got no comorbidities. Um, so I'm pretty much at like zero risk of yep. dying as far as far as yep. I'm concerned. Um, that's me doing the own math, my own research. I'm not being told that by anybody. I've spent 18 months looking at this. I know people that have had COVID. I've, okay, this is my educated opinion thus far, right? So then the, the question becomes, all right, am I allowed to go out into society because even though I'm okay with getting COVID and my chances of surviving that, I could then pass that on to somebody else. And then that's where we're running into issues. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, is that we have so many lanes in society in which that's also the case. And it comes with an inherent risk of mortality. And we have a lot of data uh, on numbers of mortality um, and they're very in line with COVID. So, and, and quite greater than COVID. You can, so, you can, you can die driving down the street. Hey, Malcolm, here we go. Um, <laughs> 2020 road fatalities, 1,195. So that was Australian road fatalities, 1,195. Uh, in 1970, it was 3,798. So... We've been on a... It's, it's gotten lower every single year since 1970. Well, look at cars. Cars have got better. We've the got brakes, the road yep. holding, the steering, everything about them. But we've still got the same bullshit speed limits. Yeah. So, uh, in, uh, so, in 2016, this is the only number that I could find, serious injuries from cars was 32,300. So, I'm just trying to draw parallels between COVID and something that we have as an acceptable part of society, right? So I would say that, man, like where would you put the number? So I couldn't find the number of people that were in car accidents, essentially, right? So in in my mind, a- The cases. Exactly, that's (laughs) that's cases, right? So if you go, so we've had 32,300 serious injuries in 2016. Um, so let's just call that cases, right? So there's how many, let's yeah, well, just take cases a Cases are way higher than that, but Exa- anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So where would we put that? Can we put that at 100,000? Would there be 100,000? So in, in my mind, let's just say a fender bender. Cole's car park. Yep. Uh, Bunnings, because it's still open. You reverse into somebody or T-bone them coming out of a car park. There's no injuries. It's just panel damage. So that would be, to, to go in line with the analogy, asymptomatic COVID. You get a bump and a scratch and you stay home for a day. So that's the parallel, right? Yep. So uh, the, the spectrum's essentially the same. You've got cases of car accidents, which would be over 32,300. Um, and then you, they would range from asymptomatic to fatal. Uh, we had 1,195 fatalities from cars, right? Mm-hmm. So... You can be an Australian citizen that gets in your car right now and you can be obeying every single road rule that's ever been followed. You could have zero alcohol and drugs in your system. Seatbelts are on. Law-abiding citizen to the T. You can get fucked up and die. Mm -hmm. That is, in my head, uh, 
socially acceptable mortality. We've we fully recognised that the dangers of driving a car. Uh, we've accepted that a certain amount of people are going to die each year. The government has legislated, and there's legislation that makes sense around driving uh, to try and keep those people safe. But at no point, at no point since the induction uh, introduction of automobiles has have we ever completely stopped driving cars. In 1970, when the road toll was 3,798, we could still drive cars. They changed and made laws to make things better. Right, so COVID-19. Total cases, 47,840. I would argue there's more cases of accidents on the road. Mm -hmm. Total fatalities, 989. So if we're talking about an acceptable loss of life within our society, uh, cars kill more people. All right, so we'll get to the laws. So to if there were no laws and it was completely unrestricted, I would bet that the fatalities on the road would be considerably higher, right? Um, well, they would be, but at the same time, you'd have another really serious consequence, and that is the efficiency would decrease dramatically. Mm. Have you been in India? I'm about to fucking I'm about to go there. <laughs> I'll just finish this and then we'll yeah, we'll, we'll okay. go from there. Uh, so we create these legislations around driving a car, right? Now, in my mind, when you create a legislation, there is a balance point that you're trying to get to between keeping the efficiency of the thing that you're trying to govern um, and then maximizing the safety that will lead to a reduction in fatality. So that's like the balancing point, right? So, no speed limits means potential chaos, fucking heaps more people could die, right? So, you introduce speed limits to uh, do what you can to, re to reduce harm. If the government said, all right, all speed limits, the maximum speed that you can drive a car is three kilometers an hour, you would dramatically reduce car fatalities to basically zero. But... That would be a point of diminishing returns. That would completely kill the function of the car to society. So it would render it completely useless. So it would rob the car of the function. You've essentially over-legislated something to the point of diminishing returns um, towards its function within society. My argument is, is that the government is kind of holding us hostage for these 989 deaths classing them as basically unacceptable um, and then over-governing and over-regulating to the same amount as essentially making the speed limits on the road three kilometers an hour. These lockdowns have made our lives slow down to three kilometers an hour to the point where the function of society has hit a point of diminishing returns for me. That's the problem. Then people want to go, oh, but aren't you seeing what's happening in India? Malcolm Roberts. How many people died of cars uh, from car accidents in India in 2019? I have no idea. 151,000. How many road rules in Australia did we change as a result of the potential for mortality in a country like India? Yeah. And, and did I've, we change any road rules? I was born in India and I haven't been back until 2014, right? And I went there and I was stunned. People on motorbikes everywhere. But the road rules are non-existent, mm. at least they're not obeyed. And this is extremely important. So 
what happens is you can be you can be driving down the street in a in a high ace van you're in a front what uh, over the cab over the engine rather yeah. so you're right there on, on the road next thing there are three on a two lane road there are three big trucks coming at you i mean they're big flat think shit what's going to happen here there's an intersection about 100 meters away one peels off to the right another peels off to the left and the other one keeps going down the lane they just worked out and i thought this is this is kind of destroying some of my arguments about variability because mm. but then I, I was in a compound and there's you know brick walls and a, and a uh, what do you call it a, a metal gate that you could see through that traffic is moving so damn slowly because they don't obey the rules mm. so rules that are good increase efficiency mm-hmm. if they're good mm-hmm. they still leave your freedom there you mm-hmm. can still drive a car it's a balance Correct, it is a balance. But what we've got to be careful of is, is when, they, when they first brought out cars, they were so terrified of cars that they, had to, that they forced people in England, for example, to walk in front of the car with a flag. Mm. So there's your three miles an hour, mm. right? We, are we going to go back to that because we're terrified of deaths? No, of course we're not. Well, because we've accepted it. Correct. It's just become a part of society that we've accepted. Well, w- so, we pay the price for that. We, we pay the price in, a, in 1,100 deaths. Actually, we don't. We pay the price in so many drunks on the road as well. So the actual price of having cars is probably more like about 100 fatalities. The rest were due to some stupid behaviour, mostly stupid behaviour. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you would know that you can't drink and drive. Mm-hmm. It's just irresponsible. Um, I, can, I can... And we legislate for that. Correct, and we should. And I can remember being, um, when I was 15, I, I was at a school oval and, and I saw two cars pass each other and next thing we heard this horrendous smash and we went down there. And I won't go into the details of the, the vehicles, they're in a mess. The one vehicle where they had three fatalities in it was pushed in about that much on one side. It hit a pole and went down the side of the pole. All three people, if they'd been in that car, with a seatbelt, they would have survived. Mm. Instead, there were pieces of meat rolled up on the ground, dead. Seatbelts, to me, are a way of saving lives, and we know that they were they were they were used without impeding the function of the car. Correct, but they were also used and without impeding your liberty. Yeah, and I what totally they agree. what they were doing, we we know that racing car drivers, we know that um, uh, airliners had had seatbelts because they were good, right? Yeah, and and some people didn't want them, but we forced people to use them. And the justification is that those three dead pieces of meat, if they weren't quite dead, we would have to take them off to hospital and fix them up. And that huge cost to society. So what society is doing is saying with the legislation, we don't want to wear the cost of you being uh, stupid and not wearing a seatbelt. Mm. So we're going to legislate it. So that's justifiable. Yeah. But it's improving the functionality of the car. It's improving that the, it's lowering the cost to, to, to society of driving that car. So exactly what you say, there is a healthy balance. But the balance has always got to be in favour of freedom. Uh, well, if you want to kill yourself, go ahead, but yeah. don't kill anyone else. Well, the thing is, though, is that... So, this is... The, my analogy extends a, a little bit further. Um, so, there is a risk of mortality for driving a car, right? Mm-hmm. I can choose, as a free individual of Australia, to not get a driver's licence and never get in a motor vehicle. Mm-hmm. I can never walk next to a road. I can opt out of cars completely. 
because I know that there's an inherent... I know that every year there is going to be 1,195 people around about dying car crashes. And I can just say, that's too much for me. I don't want that. The government cannot force me to get a license and the government cannot force me to get into a car, ever. The government would completely respect that right. I don't think the government should be forcing you to pay for a license. It should be giving... But I mean, that, you know that's, I mean? But that stuff aside, like yeah. this, that more to me relates to vaccines. If yes. there's a risk of mortality, I see. Yeah, in, any, okay, in with, any risk... Your argument is a very good one. Exactly. So I'm just trying to draw... I don't... I think we've... Fuck, maybe there could be some rules better. Being able to turn right in a red light, that'd be pretty good. But the car, whatever. Well, left in this country. <laughs> yeah, it'd be left, yeah. Right could cause problems. Um, but it's more so an analogy for the people when I posted that video. Because essentially, like, I'm looking at this landscape and I'm going... Why is the government deciding for me what I can and can't die from? The government has told me I cannot die from COVID. Unacceptable. Not going to happen. We're going to force you to have this vaccine. You cannot die from this. And I'm saying that, well, you can't force me to get a driver's license. There is a mortality risk. People are dying from getting this vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means. I'm vaccinated after the fucking eyeballs. At some point, the vaccine for COVID is going to get so good that you'd like the sun orbiting, mm. you know, the earth orbiting the sun. At some point, it's like, fuck, the jury's out. Like, we can repeat this enough times with enough certainty to know it's safe. For me, it's not there yet. No, it's, it's not. So, so. But so, my example is sorry to cut you off. No, no, you're right. My example is, is that for me to be called selfish. And for me to be told, like, I posted this video and they're like, you just obviously don't give a fuck about other people. Don't ever get in a car. Ever. If you give a fuck about other people, don't get in a car. Yep. Ever. Because 1,195, 989. In Australia, right now, you have more chance of dying in a car accident than you do from COVID-19. If you really give a fuck about your fellow Australians... Do not get in a car. So let's have a look at some of those things. You just said, if you want a vaccine, go for it. So there are people who are saying, quick, put it in me. Jab me, quick. I need it. I believe you. Let's go. That's okay, mate. Do we'll, it. We'll do it. Yeah. They're called vaccine compliant. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's just, they are compliant with it. And that's, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying they're compliant with the vaccine. They're vaccine compliant. Next one. Oh, shit, Jace. I don't really trust this. The government's done too many contradictions. No, 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 no. So I don't trust this because the government's done too many contradictions. It's changed the rules on, on, on vaccines. And now this this is not right. But, you know, I want to go see my granny next week in the aged care facility. Mm. Okay, vax me. All right, so I got a story for you. My doctor, obviously, remains unnamed, uh, spoke to him or her the other day uh, and he or she said that uh, they were forced, uh, essentially forced to have an AstraZeneca vaccination. And as a doctor, they said, I didn't want that. Mm. Um, they said I would have been completely happy to get Pfizer, but AstraZeneca, yep. not not stoked. And so, they had no choice. So we come back to that. So so this person who has to have a, chooses to have an injection because he needs to go and see his, his grandmother, yep. that's what I call vaccine reluctant. Yeah. All right? Now, I'm not That's judging him. That's what I would call my doctor. Yep, exactly. Then the next one is, oh, shit. You know, look at these people keeling over around the world, in Australia even, from the vaccine. No, 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 no. 
I got to think about this. I, I want to see a few more years down the road. Vaccine hesitant. Not judging you. Not judging you. The next one is. I'm going to take about four or five years. I want to see what happens longer term. I want to see what happens to kids when they're born from when their pregnant mother gets a vaccine in a vaccine resistant. Next one. Fuck off with your vaccines. Not interested. Mm. Vaccine opponent. I don't care where you are on that continuum. You should have freedom. I just want to be left alone to make my choice and not be judged over it. Mm-hmm. Now, the next point. So what we're doing here, what the government is doing is they're setting up. There was an interview with Piers Robinson, who's a well-known expert on, on propaganda, right? He yeah. studied it, war, politics, etc. He said this is the most, this is the largest information campaign ever, mm-hmm. ever, entirely propaganda. He also said one of the goals of an expert propagandist is to get two camps going against each other, yeah. set up an us versus them. And then you demonize one side and then you force others, intimidate them into getting whatever you want. So, Jason, I just, you know, a little while ago, I pointed a gun at your head. If I point a gun at your head and say you're going to get the vaccine and you take the vaccine, you know that I've controlled you. Mm -hmm. But for many people, they don't see the gun. There's Mm. no gun. It's intimidation. It's smearing. It's denigrating. It's uh, embarrassing. It's ridiculing, right? Or it's us versus them. Mm. That is every bit as dangerous as a rifle. Mm-hmm. Long term, not immediately. Immediately, a rifle can kill you. But that is, imme- that is as dangerous as a rifle long term because it's even worse than a rifle because you don't know you're being controlled. Mm. And if you add an education system that since, since day dot, you've been told humans are vile, rapacious, uncaring, greedy, which is what we have been told. Mm. If you've also been told you must submit to your authority, which is what we have been told subtly. You should trust the government. Yeah, you should trust the government. Then our confidence is down. So many people don't think for themselves. They just say, oh, government told me, so therefore it's okay. Mm. So these are very, very subtle forms of control, far more dangerous Mm. than conscious forms of control, where you know you're being controlled. So if you look at the – my position on medicines is this. I strongly support any medicine that has been thoroughly and properly tested and proven safe, number one. Number two, it's proven effective. And number three, I prefer it to be affordable. Mm. I wholeheartedly support them. I do not support, I totally oppose anyone forcing someone else to take a medication. And I totally oppose anyone forcing someone to take a medication and the threat of losing their livelihood. That is immoral. It's inhuman. In France, Macron tried to tell people that the vaccine passport, I don't call them passports, I call them vaccine prisons because they're denying you access to services that you as a taxpayer have paid for, that you are entitled to as a free living human being, and they're they're withholding, so they're prisons, they're vaccine prisons. Macron tried to bring in a vaccine prison that said, if you want to go to the supermarket, you will use this vaccine prison, this vaccine passport. That is completely immoral. It's saying you can't eat unless you do what I say. That is just unconscionable. Now, it's the same thing for denying services, public transport, uh, medical supplies. You're right about it. They're, tax- completely. You, they're taxpayer funded. Correct. 
And I didn't pay my taxes on the basis that that would happen. Mm-hmm. I paid my ba- taxes on the basis that it's a cost of government that is fair, which is another topic altogether. It's gone completely overboard, and we're now paying for ridiculous rip-offs in government. Yeah. So, so that's. But then, then you look at something else. The Pfizer vaccine, well, the Pfizer vaccine has been declared by the Europeans to be the cause of myocarditis. Yeah. Inflammation of the heart. Yeah. Correct. And they're they're happening in Australia. But the Europeans have said this happens. Now, we are paying hundreds of billions of dollars around the world to companies like Pfizer Mm -hmm. over the next few years on the basis that it will protect us. Also, if anybody, this is not conspiracy shit, if anybody wants to go and look at how much money Pfizer has paid in fines... It is fucking absurd. It's, so, a, it's two so and a half billion. Is it? Is that the number that they've paid in fines? That's, that's I remember in one case. When I, just one case? Oh, it's fucking crazy. I remember when I lived... All the va- major vaccine manufacturers have been fined hundreds of millions, in some cases billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, and that's just true. It's on the record. You but you know what it's it. for? Because I raised this in you know, Senate estimates. We get um, three, four weeks of Senate estimates every year where we where we have the ministers and the bureaucrats lined up in front of us and we get to ask some questions, Yeah. right? I pointed out this very thing. The head of our health agencies, three of them lined up in front of me, the chief medical officer, the head of the Therapeutic Goods Administration, who looks after, who is in charge of the, of the approval of, of drugs in this country, and the secretary of the health. I want to meet that dude. Yeah, I'll I'll happily introduce you. Need to talk to that guy. We've got some fucking problems. (laughs) So anyway, the secretary of the health department was was the head of the health department, right? So I said, what about these vaccine manufacturers being fined? Oh, but they had nothing to do with the drugs themselves. Nothing to do with the drugs. They They were fined for market. Hang on. They were (laughs) fined for marketing breaches. So now you're telling me it's okay to lie? See what I mean? Yeah. That's peddled the shit. So, yeah. um, but Pfizer, in the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Murdoch, but it's the best newspaper in the world, in my opinion. I don't think Murdoch's wrecked that one. So, um, he's got many good newspapers around it. Anyway, that's another story. Wait, um, Rones, can you text Maddie and tell him to turn the aircon off? I'm fucking freezing in here. Um, sorry. So, so, Pfizer, according to the Wall Street Journal, in the last three months, the last quarter, made $18.9 billion revenue. That's wild. They know that they estimated, and Wall Street Journal's usually pretty good at this, the margins Pfizer's on. They estimated $4 billion sheer profit. Now, get this. It's making money off making people sick by giving them the vaccine. Mm. The TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in this country, approved Pfizer's drug for treating myocarditis about 18 months ago. Mm. It is now making money... Giving Off people myocarditis and making money treating people. AstraZeneca is known by the European uh, Health Agency for creating, for causing blood clots. Pfizer introduced and got approved in this country uh, a, a drug for treating blood clots. Its sales went up 13%. Do we really think my, blood clots are minor? So Pfizer, 18 months ago, got approval for treating people in, ve- in ventilators mm. with a drug. Pfizer is making money, making people sick, and then treating their sickness. Mm. Google, Alphabet. Alphabet owns Google and YouTube. Yeah. The, uh, Go- Alphabet also owns Vaxitech. Yeah. 
makers of AstraZeneca. Yeah. I got banned on YouTube for mentioning ivermectin. Yeah. Only one week and been threatened with more. I got taken down on Instagram. Ivermectin is a drug that won a Nobel Prize. Ivermectin <laughs> is on the list. It's been of the- administered billions of times. I've taken ivermectin. I've got a subscription in my house now. Really? Yes. I I've came, I worked in India briefly in 2014. I came back with a condition. I, I, was, I was prescribed ivermectin. I was lucky because it can kill, kill you what, what I caught in India. In it's cured like river blindness. Yeah. It's like literally cured yeah. diseases that have completely crippled countries. Yes. So, um, so ivermectin is really important to discuss because what was I going to say about it? Oh, that's right. In 2013, it was approved for use in this country on certain conditions, scabies, parasites, etc. All right. So it's been given in 3.7 billion doses around the world over the last 60 years. It is safe. The guy that the guy that invented it won a Nobel Prize for it. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only that, uh, Jace, we've we've now got forty to fifty, probably more by now, scientifically, medically peer-reviewed papers saying that it is now effective on COVID. We know it's safe. Sixty years, three point seven billion doses. I took ivermectin. And they say that some side effects are, are mild headaches. Okay, I didn't get anything. So, um, so so we know it's safe. Now we're finding out that these medically uh, peer-reviewed papers, proper scientifically peer-reviewed papers, are saying that it treats COVID. We know that the state of Uttar Pradesh in India has treated two, is a state of 220 million people, I think, yeah. maybe. I can't it remember. It really got it yeah. under control. There. And they've smashed it. Yeah. Argentina has smashed it. Yeah. Uh, Mexico as well. Mex- parts of Mexico yeah. smashed it. So what's happened is we now know... So also it's worth noting for people that are listening that haven't done their own research in uh, to ivermectin, it's a 40-year-old drug that's out of patent. It costs, 60-year-old. Is it? Yes. Yeah, Pretty close to 60. It costs less than $1 a dose to administer, but companies like Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, they can't make any money off it because it's an out-of-patent drug that anybody can make. And while it's banned, for, so what happens is it's been approved in Australia, but it's not approved for use with COVID, COVID yeah. but it's proven overseas. And, and they've also changed the the uh, side effects when it is in conjunction with co- treating COVID. So you can have uh, ivermectin... Oh, I heard something about that. Yeah, so you can have ivermectin um, side effects on like let's say for curing they it cured river blindness in africa yep. and there's base, essentially like no side effects are listed and then you've got ivermectin uh that is listed for covid19 there's like a whole host of side effects that aren't on any of the other treatments that ivermectin's used there's a prominent um i won't mention his name but there's a prominent uh specialist in this country he's not a epidemiologist but he has treated people he went into a quarantine facility Mm. He treated 24 very ill patients who had COVID. Yeah. Every one of them, quick recovery. Two people were not given the treatment, dead. So we know it works. But if ivermectin was out there, there'd be no need for vaccines. Mm-hmm. Ivermectin would stop this dead in its tracks. But because see, I think that, I, I think that um, it's not that much point saying that in the sense that like we probably should still develop a vaccine just based on the fact that vaccines have worked in the past so well you know like the vaccines have cured 
uh, or eradicated so many diseases. So I don't think it makes sense to like not bother making a vaccine. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I thought, didn't say yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. but the point is, there isn't a proven vaccine at the moment. We talk yeah. more about vaccines. So yeah. I've got some data on that. But ivermectin is proven. Yeah, like let's just fucking use it, it now. There's it. no side effects or like very minor side effects. Yeah. It's been administered billions of times. Yeah. If there's a chance of it helping with no harm, give people the fucking drug. And the other thing about ivermectin is... If you pop it, you can pop it prophylactically, which means that um, I won't get it. So yes, if, if, if yes. you breathe all over me and I catch COVID off you, it kills it dead. So it stops it can the be spread. A yeah, it can be a preventative measure. Yeah, so, yeah. so that would mean we could open up the borders. We could do get back to normal entirely, cheaply, safely, with minimal side effects, yeah. hardly any and no severe side effects. But if you look at the vaccines... Pfizer's vaccine is now down to 17% efficacy in, in uh, Israel, which is the highest decent population country that's the highest proportion of vaccinated people. We now see that even Pfizer is admitting that the vaccine efficacy plummets after about two months. Mm. We now see that Pfizer is applying to the Food and Drug Administration in America for authorization for a third booster shot. Mm. Now, these are the questions I asked of the chief medical officer... Therapeutic Goods Administration head and the Health Secretary in, in Senate Estimates in May. Can you guarantee 100% the safety of these vaccines? No. Mm. Can you tell me what dosage is needed? No. Can you tell me how many injections will be needed? No. Can you tell me how far apart those injections will be? No. Can you tell me if the restrictions will end once people are vaccinated? No. Can you tell me if uh, things like masks will be lifted? No. Can you tell me if lockdowns will be lifted? No. Mm. Why the fuck are we injecting people? Mm -hmm. Now, this is the first time in my knowledge, apart from, say, the Nazis, this is the first time in my knowledge when a government has injected healthy people with a drug that can kill them. Yeah. It's the first time, to my knowledge, where the governments have deliberately restricted and prevented the supply of a proven treatment to sick people. Mm. That's ivermectin. That's immoral. Mm -hmm. Now, I was threatened by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, a government agency. I'm a senator. There's nothing fancy about that, but I'm representing the people. Yeah, you're an elected official. Correct. I'm representing the people of Queensland and the people of Australia in federal parliament. Therapeutic Goods Administration heard that I was... Uh, Speaking about ivermectin, they sent me a threatening letter. They didn't say what they would do, but it was very threatening. And they said I was advertising it. How the hell is talking about something that's proven beneficial advertising? Is that freedom of speech? Would it's that, not freedom would that of speech. Fall under freedom of speech. But they're in, trying to intimidate a member of parliament who's representing the people. They're showing complete disrespect to the people. I don't care if you agree with me or disagree with me. I have got to be able to speak. So my response to them, that's just bullying. So with bullying, you treat it the way it is. What I said to them was, ba basically, go to hell. And then I said, the government has blood on its hands. They didn't come back. Mm. And always beneath control, always beneath bullying, which is a form of control, always beneath lying, which is a form of control, always beneath intimidation, always between misrepresenting, always between creating us and them, which are all forms of control, there is fear. These people are terrified of the truth. Mm. A lie hates the truth. The truth loves the truth. Because if I'm telling the truth, you can question me and question me and question me. And every question 
comes up with, oh, shit, he's right. Mm. Oh, shit, he's right. He's telling the truth. That's why truth loves questioning, but when a government doesn't love questioning. So we've now got the TGA trying to shut me down. We've got YouTube trying to shut me down, even though its parent company owns Vaxitech. We've got social media trying to shut me down. We've got social media shutting down Craig Kelly, who's an elected representative. You can communicate with Craig Kelly by pressing the Facebook icon on his government, on his taxpayer-funded page as a representative of parliament. That's a legitimate form of communication. But you can't do it now because Facebook's banned him. So that's interfering with democracy. Mm. The parliament, the federal parliament, condemned George Christensen for talking about um, politicians being, being gutless for talking about lockdowns being useless and dangerous, for talking about masks being useless. Mm. The federal parliament. I was one of four senators that opposed that vote. Sorry, five. Pauline opposed it as well. Five. Even his own party condemned him because they're so damn gutless. Yeah. And people's lives are at stake. No, I'm, I'm on board with, with everything. And one of the things that uh, I kind of wanted to mention through this as well my opinion changed last night when I, like I said, I spent three hours, I'll play some of the clips um, because essentially like I was under the opinion that like we were a free country and that we, we Nothing. basically no. have the same declaration of independent independence, the same bill of rights. Like we've, I, I was fully under the, the opinion that that's kind of how our country was structured. It's actually not. Um, and we can get into that here in a second. Um, but essentially I've, had people that kind of challenge my ideas and opinions when it comes to this and they're like they think that you're having you're engaging in some kind of like crazy anti-government conspiracy and it's just like all right how do you we kind of touched on it before but we didn't go super deep into it but it's like they're just people in that make up the government and they're making these rules like they're they're tasked to govern and there you've you've got these two ends of the spectrum you've got no laws at all. People can do whatever the fuck they want whenever the fuck they want to do it. That would be... If you were the government that was tasked to make sure that like society stayed in order, that would be quite a hard task, right? So the way... Again, it's like the speed limits. You like have this balance of power and you need X amount of rules. There's like a sweet spot where it's like there's enough rules that... People have this independent agency. They have this freedom, but they're, they're constrained in the way that we talked about cars and seatbelts. And they don't, they, these, you start with liberty. People have these unalienable rights and responsibilities. We legislate around those to, to protect those freedoms um, and make sure that people can stay living in a free society. People can't encroach on other people's freedoms. So the more laws you have, just make it easier for these people to do their job. They're just people. The government is just people. You're a part of the government. No, no, I'm not part of the government. I'm oh, part okay. of parliament. You're part of parliament. Yeah, fair government enough. Government is a part of parliament. Yeah, So I'm not, definitely not part of the government. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I'd like to be. But uh, so they're just people. They're just people that are trying to do a job. They're people that are doing a terrible job currently, right? So if you're doing a bad job at something... And there's a, a guaranteed way to make your job easier is less freedom for the people, more governance. That is going to make it easier to govern those people. That doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy around that. No. How many people... Ronan, you're shit at your job sometimes. There's two people that work in this office. 50% of us are shit at our job at one... <laughs> you know what I mean? 
in any and he I, might tell me the other 50 i was gonna say and i'm probably shit at my fucking job 50 percent of the time too so at some points in this fucking studio a hundred percent of the people that are tasked at doing this job are shit at it that's fine that's fine that's like part of being a human but we've literally got a government that is full of people that to me are doing a completely incompetent job like they're just fucking this up from head to toe it's hard it's a hard job that they're that they're tasked it's with it's actually not i agree to an extent it's not a hard job i do agree to an extent and if a dickhead like me can come up with a bunch of ideas uh that could potentially make it better why can't they but my point is they this. don't want to my point is is that more rules make their job easier. That's as far into it as I think that you need to... In terms of, like, what's the motivation? I now think that there's probably more and deeper motivations. Um, when I looked at um, the podcast that we'll, we'll reference here shortly. Um, but, yeah, it's like, to me, it's just... It doesn't seem crazy to think that the government could be doing a terrible job. How, if you're listening to this, right, there's a lot of people that listen to this while they're at work. You're at work right now. Think about the people that work around you. How many of those people are fucking shit at their job? That's what we're dealing with. The You're on the right track. I don't agree with everything you said, but you're on the right track. I agree with you. The, the behavior of people in parliament can be explained by saying most of them are ignorant, at times stupid, and gutless. And the big one is gutless. I get the gutless, though, in a, in a sense, because... So, we, to go back to the car accidents thing, right, is like, there's no, there's no leadership at all, I think, in the country, right? Correct. I'm a... I'm a student of history. I love history. I'll read probably six or seven volumes around history a year, or six or seven books a year. You go from Genghis Khan to Adolf Hitler to Rockefeller to Thomas Jefferson. All of these people were these gangster fucking leaders, right? You can Hitler was a terrible person. Um, Genghis Khan, um, I don't know. Um, the jury's out on there for me and him. Seemed like a bit of a fucking badass in my opinion. <laughs> um, but you can be a phenomenal leader and be a shit person. So that's not exclusive. Because um, Hitler was a great leader. He um, got an entire country to kill a fucking, like essentially millions of people that he didn't Actually, like. in his early, early days, he took over a country that was smashed and people were, were buggered. And he lifted the whole country up. He built the Autobahn system. He was a good leader. He did phenomenal stuff for them. But he is moral. He was an evil person. Terrible. Yeah. Yes. yes. He yeah. was an evil person. So, but with that, to, to be a good leader, you've got to be able to wear the brunt of criticism and you've got to be able to like stand to your value. Like we spoke about before we started recording this podcast. Like you've just got to be able to head north no matter what yep. people are saying about well, you, well, no matter what public opinion is. And, and so for me... If I'm the Prime Minister of Australia, if I'm Scott Morrison, you just get up and you say like, hey guys, we had 1,195 people die in cars last year. We're not even at that number with COVID yet. So it's like, what's the acceptable rate of mortality here? And you just say like, hey guys, like it's kind of fucked up, but a side effect of life is death. 
and we can't be afraid of death and we can't lock ourselves inside our houses and we can't stop you know moving forward in this country like 27,000 Australian men and women died in World War Two. 27,000 mm. people died in World War Two, so that the people that lived within the borders of this country could be free. Mm-hmm. 27,000 people. And there was a leader that said that that was okay. And you know what? The whole population. The, and the fucking, mo- most and of the, the pop- population. And the population most. said, you know what? This is a cause worth dying for. Freedom is worth it. And we've completely lost that, man. For mm-hmm. people, people aren't seeing this as an issue of freedom. But again, it comes back to the leadership. So let me ask you a question. What's the most important character trait of a leadership of a leader good leader fuck you just have to start at values man like what are their morals and values okay for me it's strength of character which has got a lot which is is tied up with morals yeah Yeah. it's one component of strength of character to me strength of character is head north okay i'm going to do this oh you're an idiot you're a dickhead i'm going to do this yeah oh you should do this you should i'm going to do this now i'm listening to everyone but I got my data in the first place, listened to everyone, consulted everyone, and I made up my mind. And then because I upset someone, doesn't mean I changed my course. I upset someone else, I don't change my course. I've made my decision based upon my values, and I've consulted, and I've got the hard data. And if you're a good leader, you're transparent with that data. And, right. you, and you let the free market economy of good ideas right. decide. I've got data here to talk about in a minute. But So the, the next thing is, oh, shit. I made a mistake. A good leader has the strength of character to say, I made a mistake. A good leader has the strength of character to say, Jace, I don't know the answer to this one, mate. What I you, would what is be it? so fine with that, man. I know. Honestly. Well, like, that's what Pauline and I do. We, we admit when we don't know something. We admit when we, we say it in Parliament. Our last decision was wrong. We changed our vote on this. That's it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry I'm wrong. Can you please help me? Strong people ask for help. Mm. Weak people are afraid to see that you might be weak because they don't want to ask for help. Yeah. That's what's important fundamentally because the leader is about maintaining direction. We talked about it before we, we came onto the podcast. In America, they have turn right on red. The equivalent would be turn left on red in Australia. So you get to a red light. Oh, shit. I haven't got time to waste. So I'll go left. Mm. Next intersection, go left. All you do is go around the block. Mm. A good leader says, I'm either going to run this red light because it's, it's, or, it's yeah, urgent or I'll wait. Yeah. And then I'll go through that red, then I'll go through the green light. So we don't have anybody in this country in a senior position that is a leader. I and, feel it, man. So it's not there. And, and sorry to cut you off. No, I, right. I lived in America through Obama. And he was the leader. You don't think so? No way. I don't know, man. I've I've no. fucking watched he that dude. He worked for the globalists. But I watched that dude. You turn on the TV, and he would speak to the people. Whether and whether he's right or wrong, and people from the left and from the right would listen to what that dude had to say. They would listen, but the country deteriorated enormously under him. He was just a yeah. mouthpiece for the globalists. He was atrocious. They, I actually thought a lot of Trump because Trump said, I'm going to do something. Mm. And he was polarizing, but at least he did. I was going to say Trump is a leader as well. He is, definitely. Reagan was a good leader. Yeah. Le- Reagan, Reagan worked through all the globalist pressures on him. Yeah. Trump just said, fuck the globalist pressures. We're just going this way, you know, mm. and he did it. So I can find very little to complain about with Trump. Trump knows 
that the country is deteriorating. Mm. Trump arrested it. He got to the core problem. He said to the media, he said to the globalists, and that's what was necessary. And that's why the people loved him, mm. because he did exactly that. He had the strength of character and the balls to take them on. Yeah. And so that that's ph- phenomenal. But if you look at what's causing our leaders, no, they're not leaders, what's causing the heads of our governments to not lead? Very, very simple. Bipartisanship. No. I think so. Well, the, you're fucked, essentially, as the leader of the country, because you've got... This is the the problem of politicizing a health crisis. No, right? no, no, no. What I what I meant was, the fundamental thing I said to strength of character is, I don't make a decision off the spur of the moment. Say, let's mm. do this so that I'm seen to be strong and dynamic. No bullshit. You'll get a decision out of me, okay? But it'll be when I've got the data because mm. I'm going to treat the people with respect and get the data first, yeah. make an informed decision. What I said in on um, Monday. March 23rd, 2020. It was their first single-day session in the parliament under emergency conditions, right? Because, Jace, we heard about these tens of thousands of Italians and and Frenchmen and and, uh, uh, Spaniards and Chinamen dying from this COVID. So we thought, well, they're reports. We've got to treat them as serious. So when you're under serious things like that, you say to the government, look, here's a blank check. Just go for it. So that's what we did with JobSeeker. And then on Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2020, we did the same with JobKeeper. We say, we don't know about this yet. It, it looks like a big threat. We don't know that it isn't. So go for it. Open check. But I said to them three things. First of all, I said, get the data. Mm. Second thing, develop a plan based on the data. I like that you're an engineer too. You fucking know data. Yeah, well, it's mate, all you do is data. As a mind manager and general yeah. manager, if I didn't make decisions based on data, people would make die. A decision. No, you, people would die. Yeah. Oh no, people would make decisions. Yeah, true. They just try to look good, puff out the chest, and say, "Look at me, making a good decision." So they they die. That's the consequences. So I said, the third thing is, we will hold you accountable. So initially, we just gave them a bit of breathing space, and about May and June, I started holding them accountable, asking questions, right? But you couldn't ask really hard questions because if you did, you'd be called anti-Australian, anti-this, anti-that. Okay, you had to give the government time. But we kept sowing the seeds. Also, I said in either March or April, there are promising tests at Monash University, in vitro tests, with ivermectin. Oh, really? They were doing them here? Yeah, yeah. So this was before they were proven overseas. So anyway, then in in March um, of this year, March, so we had 12 months, and we'd been asking questions um, about ivermectin and so on and and about the vaccines because that's my job. I've got to hold you accountable. Even if I don't agree with you as the government, even if I do agree with you as a government, I've still got to grill you because I want to make sure that you've got a sound basis, right? Mm. So in Senate estimates, I asked the head of the therapeutic, um, the chief medical officer and the secretary of the Department of Health these basic questions. Okay, because you've got to admit there's no plan going on. Mm-mm. The pr- the premiers and the prime minister doing just t- tossing shit at each other it's and blame. Fugazi, it's a fugazi, it's a <laughs> So I said, let me just test with you my understanding of some strategies that would be composing a good plan for managing the virus. Okay, and they said sure. So I said the first one is lockdowns can be used. Okay, and they said yes, yes, that's appropriate. But let me just sidetrack for a minute. Lockdowns. The World Health Organization lied about it because back back in uh, 
end of 2019, they said the virus cannot be transmitted from humans to humans. False. Yeah. They then downplayed the virus in China, which enabled it to jump out of the country also, and catch everyone off guard. For me to fucking... Uh, so I've got a very close person that I'm in daily contact with that lives in China. Um, so I've, I've watched this virus play out over FaceTime in China. Yeah. It is fucking out of control, dude. So anyway, this is the only conspiracy hat that I'll put on in this entire fucking coronavirus thing. This happened... Right at Chinese New Year. Yep. Every single person in China leaves work for two months and just travels all over the world. That's yep. my only conspiracy thing. Well, I'm like, hey, correlation doesn't equal causation, no, no, no. but God damn, that's a, that's a fucking juicy little nugget. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's crazy. Come back to it's that. crazy watching the way that it's gone down in China. It's insane. I'd love to learn more about that because it's been shut off. You know, that, I'm genuinely interested in that. But anyway, lockdowns. So the World Health Organization caused a lot of the problems mm. now they're a corrupt incompetent dishonest organization oh, man. they're part of the un and that's the same words apply to the whole of the un now even the world health organization admitted recently lockdowns are a blunt instrument that should be used only initially to get control of a virus and then not used again mm. notice what i said to be used to be get to get control of a virus Every time one of these bloody premiers and the, and, and the prime minister funds them, every time one of these bloody premiers institutes a lockdown, it says they're not in control. They're not in control. Well, we've been going 18 months with no plan and we are not managing the virus. The virus is controlling us. One outbreak, mm. Brisbane shuts down. One outbreak, Melbourne shuts down. One outbreak, Darwin shuts down. And, and it's like... This is insane. Yeah. And, and then, it's, it's cases and deaths. And the, the other point that I didn't raise before in my car accident analogy is that, like, so I was on board with this when it came to uh, we can't overwhelm the hospital system. So was I. Fair enough. So was hey, I. Fair enough. That's fucking all good, right? But then I'm looking and I'm going 32,300 serious injuries from motor vehicles. And the fucking hospital systems can handle that just fine, right? So, yeah, we're talking but not all of them. Are, oh, yeah, they, some of them serious, yeah, yeah, indis- serious, sorry. serious injury from a car accident. This ain't a fender bender. This is a serious yeah, injury. Yeah. So this, I broke this collarbone racing, and uh, I went into the hospital. Uh, was it, I grew up in Cairns. Went into the hospital in Cairns, waiting for my surgery. Got pre-op, got the whole thing. Huge car accident basically took over the entire hospital uh i went home didn't get my surgery yeah um, so that's a it's a real thing like these these you can get these car accidents come in and they just take like all of the resources from a yeah. emergency room or a trauma we're not that's not the same thing as putting somebody on a ventilator am i am i wrong in saying that well, I think we need to protect in intensive care unit, but we can do that oh, with ivermectin and, and, and just procedures. But let, let's but just... we're not having six or seven doctors rush to a no. patient, open a patient up, blood transfusions, then the... the I, I get your point. You, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So if we can have... If, we, if our hospital system can sustain 32,300 serious uh, injuries, um, I'm just don't see like that so that argument doesn't seem to hold as much weight also another thing uh when it comes to the management of this situation is where's the fucking covid hospitals 
where's the quarantine facilities? So the 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 problem with uh, the initial outbreaks in Melbourne and Sydney is that we're doing hotel quarantine, right? So you've got flights coming in internationally. You've got cruise ships coming in. They stick them in a fucking Marriott in the Sydney CBD, the most population-dense parts of Australia. And then we've, we know that it's an airborne virus. You get people breathing the same air. They're in their hotels without masks on, and which are ineffective if you go by the World Health Organization at one point in time anyway. You've got these people breathing air. You've got janitors that are cleaning the rooms. You've got security guards that end up fucking the people in quarantine. <laughs> so it's like... At what point, like, why can we even call this a quarantine? Like, is a quarantine not a scientific procedure where you eliminate variables uh, from whatever it is that you're trying to quarantine? You're, like, limiting exposure factors, right? Yes. Putting people in a fucking Marriott in the Sydney CBD and then letting the people that clean the rooms and breathe the air and fuck the people, and then you're letting (laughs) them go into public transport. Yeah. Hey. I ain't responsible for that. Do you know who's responsible for that? Who's responsible? Federal government. The federal government. So you've got the federal government that is directly responsible. We live on a fucking island directly responsible for setting up these hotel quarantines, right? If this is a global pandemic, do you know how much money we spent on infrastructure for the Olympics? No. $6.7 billion. The net cost to the Australian taxpayer, $2.7 billion. So these are facilities that essentially aren't used now. You go, to Olympic, you go to Olympic Park for, I've been there for music festivals. I've never been to the indoor rowing center. I've never been to the kayaking fucking white rot. All of these facilities are still being maintained to this day. So the Australian government was down to spend nearly $7 billion of taxpayer money to make a facility for the Olympics that can't be used after the Olympics and we can't spend anything on a fucking COVID hospital (laughs) in a global pandemic. And let's say, let's put that out of the picture then. So this, and again, I'm just a dickhead podcaster about motocross. Don't do the quarantine in... Sydney CBD, Melbourne CBD, the most population-dense parts of Australia. How about we go, let's go Wagga Wagga, Orange, all right? Two regional towns away from people. You go, hey, guys, global pandemic, we're going to fucking pay X amount of money. The Wagga Wagga hospital is now going to become a COVID hospital. Uh, It's only going to be used for COVID patients. They're going to be transported here. It's going to be treated as as a... proper quarantine facility there's no public transport limiting uh exposure in brisbane let's do it in ipswich you know and it's like that's the that seems to me like a plan that you've got leave the people in the cities don't close the fucking borders you get people that come in on a cruise ship or a flight bang they go straight use the military use the military use the military for what they're supposed to be used for set up field hospitals none of this shit got done at all and i'm a fucking idiot and this is this is stuff that i think could work let's let's before we go to quarantine let's go to the data and then i'd like to come back to the overall plan and then we hit quarantine as part of that the data right i said to the government give me the data they didn't 
I said, give us the data, the people the data. They didn't. So in March, uh, sorry, yeah, in March, Senate estimates this year, 12 months after the virus arrived, plenty of time for the data. I said to the chief medical officer and the secretary for the Department of Health, give me the data that characterizes the virus. Tell me the transmissibility, mm-hmm. how easy it is to con- be contagious, how easily it spreads, and the severity. And I What want- about comorbidities? Well, that's that's that comes from this. So then, then I said to them, I want it not only as it is, but I want it in relation to other past serious respiratory diseases, including severe flus, mm. like Spanish flu. Okay. The the problem with Spanish flu. Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't really looked too much into this, but uh, there was a guy. Oh, I'm a he's a really good guy. He challenged me on uh, one of the posts that I made um, about COVID, and he referenced the Spanish flu. In my mind, though, it's not really a fair comparison um, because the age of mortality from COVID is so far over the life expectancy of Spanish flu. So, like, we're seeing everybody that essentially everybody that's dying of COVID is like fifty plus, right? The life, Most, like, yeah. But there wasn't people that were fifty years old when the Spanish flu was around. Like, yeah. really, Spanish flu? Well, you're right. But so, so we look at the if, when you look at the. Um, Spreadability, the contagiousness of this of this COVID virus, right? It is quite high. Mm. All right, severity on the on the the government's own graph is low to moderate. I'll say it again: severity is low to moderate, less than many past flus, and some contagious some some flus that are more severe are more contagious than COVID. Mm. The symptoms of COVID are like a severe flu. Some people, as you point out, die from it. Mm. Some people don't even know they've got it. So so 95% of people that die from COVID have an average of four comorbidities. 5% of people that die from COVID have zero comorbidities. Right. So j- just come back to the summary of what I just said. On its own, it's not that big a deal. Now... Because we know that there are there are stratifica- you can stratify that the uh, the deaths, you know that elderly die mm-hmm. more likely to die. You know that certain comorbidities are more likely to die. You know mm-hmm. that obese people and people with compromised immune systems are more likely to die. So the first point I, I raised in, with the with the chief medical officer was the plan was lockdowns. Right now, lock, let's go back to lockdowns now, and and then just say, Governor DeSantis from Florida. And America's got 50 states, so you've got a good experiment going on right there. A lot of them yeah. have locked down, a lot of them haven't. Yeah. There's no difference between the response in the states between lockdowns and not lockdowns. If you look at Florida... i got a lot of friends in Florida. Yeah, government, I, get, I get spoken to about Florida quite a lot. And, and there are a lot of old people who retire in Florida. Big time. Big, very yeah. big, right? So Governor DeSantis of Florida... Great golf courses. ...imposes a, a lockdown on Florida. Very soon after he imposed it, he removed it. And he said to the people, I'm sorry, we will never do that again. Never do it again. California's been in perpetual lockdown. Florida is doing better than California. And California's having a revote. They're about to go through a re-election. They've done like a recall election of their governor. California's so screwed up. But anyway, um, so what was the other point in lockdown? Even the World Health Organization, crooked, corrupt, incompetent, dishonest, is now saying don't use lockdowns other than initially. Okay? So lockdowns, that's one form of, uh, one strategy. Second strategy, test, trace, quarantine. Taiwan has the best, had the best performance of any country in the world until it had an outbreak, a breach of quarantine. 
in the time up until about March, April this year, right, they are closer to China, have more more connection with China. They also have a, the same population as we have. They've got 24, we've got 25 million people on a tiny island. They can spread it more easily. Mm. So they've got a much more difficult question. Yeah, they did does. not lock down. They tested, traced, and quarantined. And by testing, what I mean is they test your temperature with a infrared probe. Yeah. They test your temperature. If you're hot temperature, go and get a COVID test. Yeah. This is at the entrance to every workplace. If you've got a low temperature or mod or you know normal temperature, get to work. Yeah. Get to work. Now, if you're sick with COVID, or if you've got a um, you're vulnerable to COVID. Off you go, quarantine. Uh, quarantine yeah. is about isolating individuals. It's not about shutting down the whole economy. Yeah. That's bullshit. So what they, what Taiwan did, in the time, in the first 12 months, in the time that we had 900 deaths, they had seven. Mm. Not 700, seven. They then had, a, just recently, they had a massive breach of quarantine and the deaths rose significantly. They're up to about 800, I think. But the point is, with their protocols in place, they quickly brought it under control. Mm. Their deaths per million people, as of last week, earlier this week, were 35. We're on 38. Now, Taiwan, is a major economies, major customers are in North America, which suffered lockdowns and destroyed their economy, and also Europe, which had lockdowns initially. Despite the fact that Taiwan's major customer bases were decimated, their economy fell by 0.6%. It just hummed along mm. because they were managing the virus. We're not managing the virus. The virus is managing us. Mm. The third one, I said to them, third strategy, um, restrictions like masks and uh, um, what was the other one? Like curfews and shit like that. Well, no, curfews are bullshit. Things like masks and social distancing, all right? Yeah, yeah. And they both said, yes, yes, that's a valid, valid option. Okay, so we've got three strategies so far. I've got three out of three. The fourth one I said is vaccines, all right? Just assuming they're proven. These aren't. They're not fully tested. They're only provisionally approved. They're not tested. Has, has the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine? I've yet? heard that it has recently, but I'd like to see that evidence. How can they do that? Uh, what takes normally five years in twelve months? That's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. So anyway, but just so, to clarify factually, like it. That's uh, what that's yeah. what I've heard. It has yeah, it yeah. has said that it has. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you a bit more about the TGA in a minute. Um. So, so the the fourth one is vaccine. So I said, is a vaccine a strategy? Of course it is. Yes, that's a strategy. Okay, good. I've got four out of four so far. Fifth one. This will get you antivirals that treat the virus and can be used as a prophylactic. Their response to me was, yes, that is a strategy for managing the virus. Which would be ivermectin. I didn't say anything deliberately because I didn't want them to spew, right? I just yeah. wanted to get that on the record. Yeah, That was in March. And then I said, anything else? And they said, yeah, personal behavior. I said, what do you mean? Oh, things like washing hands. Oh, okay, I agree with that. So then I said to them, so so then I came back in May Senate estimates and said, look, I thought of one other. Can I test you with that? Yeah, sure, sure. So I said health and fitness. Mm. Yes, that's a definite part of the strategy for COVID. So we've, and I said to them, now we've got seven strategies that are part of a plan. You have just said they're all okay. Is there anything on that list of seven that should not be there? No, no, they should all be there. Good. Is there anything I've missed? No, 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 you've got it nailed. Tell me, Jace, how many of those strategies are in place? Yeah, not, not many. Lockdowns, yeah. which are abusive 
And right. even the World Health Organization has said they're destructive. They, they destroy people's health. They put off things like cancer treatments, which will cause higher mortality in the future. They put off things like um, mental health. They don't deal with mental health. They destroy mental health. They destroy economic health, which is fundamental to future health. They're actually harmful lockdowns, not just economically, but harmful health-wise. Mate, I could not agree more. So, so that's what the state governments are doing, but they're only doing it because the federal government's funding them, mm-hmm. which straight away tells you something about the way our government is, is working. I said earlier on, we copied the American constitution, sorry, the American f- government set up. We married it with the Westminster from Britain, and we've got a bloody good system and a bloody good constitution where we've got competitive federalism. South Australia has destroyed its electricity sector as a result of that through bullshit policies. As a result of that, employers have left South Australia. Mm. Okay? Now, normally what would happen is South Australia would then wake up. But because the other, con- uh, the, the other states are destroying it under federal policies as well, they're not waking up. I'll give you an example of how competitive federalism works. Joe Bjorki-Peterson was the premier in this state, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. He abolished death duties. His government abolished death duties. You know, where you, when you died, you paid a tax on your, well, you, your estate paid a yeah, tax, right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He yeah. abolished death duties. Yeah. Do you know what happened? They got bought back. No. People moved from the other states to come to Queensland to retire. Oh, really? Because if they died in Queensland, yeah, they yeah, wouldn't pay yeah, death yeah, duties. Yeah, yeah, Their yeah. kids would get more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened? Why the fuck? Why would that be a thing? I know. So, so, so what happened was the Gold Coast took off. That's what you can thank the Gold Coast for, as well as Bruce Small and a few other things. But you know, that's what brought, and that's why you've got so many retired folk here. So, what happened as a result of that? The Gold Coast took off, but the other states then said, "Geez, we're going to lose our revenue, so we'll drop death duties too." So you had competition over See, something same, good. Same thing in Colorado with legalized marijuana. Yeah. So, so the point that we're getting to now is our, con- our constitution has been undermined, not changed, undermined, not followed. So we now have a GST in which the, the states like Western Australia, for every dollar they put into the GST, they get 37 cents back. You have the bludging states like Tasmania and South Australia that get more than a dollar back for every dollar they put in. Hmm. So that's why they can have bullshit policies in South Australia. And they go unchecked. And go unchecked. Get this, our state is the second richest in terms of minerals in the country. We should be pumping money into the GST. We take more out than we put in because Mm. our government is so damn bad in this state. So what I'm getting at now is we've got the federal government paying money to the states for their lockdowns. Yeah. The lockdowns in the states have got no no repercussions, no responsibility. Yeah. Anastasia Palaszczuk. Well, there's so many people that moved to the Gold Coast last year through Melbourne lockdowns. It yep. was insane, yeah. dude. The my rental, my rent's gone up. Like the housing market yeah. here is completely fucked. Commercial property market here is completely fucked because we've had an influx of people that moved here from Melbourne. So, so come back to Anastasia Palaszczuk putting in place these lockdowns, right? Last year in February, she was gone so far as election prospects were concerned. Everyone had written her off, and they should have. The feeling on the ground was definitely anti-Palaché, anti-Labour. It was right through the state. Then COVID came. And when you have a threat like that, the incumbent government always leaps. Mm. And what happened was she just said, fear, 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 fear. Her election platform, every polling booth you went to, was Anna's saving us, Anna's saving us, Anna's saving us. Complete bullshit. She was destroying us. But she got the spin out there, and when you got fear... 
we humans have got this wonderful neocortex, but when when fear comes in, it takes over, and the, the little there's a little almond shaped portion in their brain that's called the amygdala. Mm-hmm. The amygdala short circuit everything, and it's very important. We can go into that later if you want. But have you read any books that that are contrary to that triune brain theory? No, I've got no. a really good book okay. that I'd love for you to read. All it, right. it it basically um, essentially kind of debunks the whole triune brain thing. Well, I don't know about the triune brain, but I'm well, the triune brain is like you've got the amygdala, the neocortex, and then the corpus callosum or the cerebellum. And there's another cerebellum. Yeah, and there's the cerebellum another cerebellum as well. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so but if you if you look at the way people behave, right? Then th- th- you can see psychologically, f- you can see that pattern. You, yeah, yeah, and you can see the fight, flight, or freeze. You yes. can see it in people. Yes. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be here because our ancestors would have been eaten. Yeah. So, so we we need that and we use it. And you can also see it at work and not at work at times. Like, yes. you can you can be in traffic and some bastard cuts you off, and you get on the horn and you wave wind down the window and you you know yeah. abuse him out the window. Yeah. Or some people do. But now, if that lo- if that car pulled in front of you. And had red and green, red and blue lights on top of it. Completely fine. It's fine. Yeah. Right. So we can control it. Um, sometimes when we get angry, we let f- let fly with with some words that we later regret. Yeah. Right. So so it's still there that fight, flight, or freeze. So what happens when we when we get into fight, flight, or freeze? And we know this. We know this from studies on kids. I don't know about your try and brain theory, but we know this from studies on kids. If you have kids afraid they don't learn anywhere nearly as much mm. and as well and they don't keep it there well i mean that it's the same with kids that grow up in poverty like kids yeah. that kids that grow up in in poverty regardless of like race or you know color creed um uh, exposed to like huge uh, potentially huge learning uh, difficulties over people that grow up um, yep. above the poverty line so there's one other thing that i want to share with you on the data all right of this covid stuff when we First started when the government first started doing modeling in this country, it leaned on the Doherty Institute. Yeah. The Doherty Institute, we were told, got its data or its modeling from the UK, from the Imperial College in London. That has been proven wrong so many times. I don't know if you're aware of it, no. but they forecast billions of dollars being wiped out from mad cow's disease, foot and mouth disease. Failed every time. Wildly exaggerated. Yeah. So the Doherty model is using, Doherty Institute is using that. The federal government's relying on the Doherty model. Remember we were told, if, if that's a graph, right, mm. that we'd have the cases going up like this, we'd overwhelm flatten our intensive curve. curve. Yeah. I was going to say, flatten the curve, just a couple of weeks, flatten the curve. Yeah. And then it would come down, right? Now, what they didn't, they only showed us that one curve. The New Zealand government released on March 25th, 2020, its own curve that it got from the Doherty Institute. Mm. And that curve said, goes up and down, just like Australia. And then it goes up and then it goes down. And then it goes up and then it goes down. And then it goes up and then it goes down because the virus is here to stay. Mm. So you can't just suppress it all because it's there. It's going to break out again. There, there is a model and I fucking wish I got it up. Um, Eric Weinstein, have you ever, you ever heard no. of him? You would absolutely love some of the stuff that, that he does. He's a like a... Brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, but anyway, uh, I was of the thinking as well that this is something that would never be eradicated and that there's, you've got zero chance of eradicating a, a virus or a disease like COVID. Um, but there actually are some really prominent science. They they hire, That's where I've got my information around ivermectin. Um, and they do think that we can actually 
eradicate COVID. Um, but there is going to be a point of no return where it will be something that we have to live with. Uh, we haven't reached that. There is a curve um, that a bunch of scientists have, have worked on. But um, it it is based around like using treatments like Ivan yeah. and not just relying yeah. on the vaccine. Exactly. So, it's so actually, I think there are people and this, I was of the case of like we fucking you can't get rid of this like influenza never got rid of it um I, that i was in that camp uh, this made me think a little bit differently about that but the results the same it's like you should st- we should be working towards yeah. that well ivermectin will knock it on the head we've seen that in other yeah. countries what i was getting to was that the government with withheld from us hid from us the, the fact that it goes up and down curve, no, yeah. it goes up and yeah. down up and down up and down forever so the lockdowns right there and then are bullshit they're not going to control it you're just going to put in a lockdown and remove the lockdown put in a lockdown and remove the lockdown and so what we needed was a far better plan now what what, what you just said was because of the what you said a little while ago was because of the uh, comorbidities and the different different uh, age groups and so on that means your plan which should be based on data, has to be stratified to to account for different types of people who are vulnerable. But you need a plan that's got seven components. And once the vaccine's approved, fine. But until they're approved properly, don't use them. Mm. Or give people the choice to use them. Or give people the choice to use them. So Israel's now now putting in a third booster shot because the vaccine efficacy has plummeted. So what I'm saying is we've never had the proper plan. Mm. Singapore is now saying we will eventually have to live with it. Gladys Barrett, notice what happens. None of these people have the guts to say and the integrity to say, we got it wrong. We didn't use the data. Instead, now we've got... Or just say we misinterpreted the data. Fucking lie about being wrong. Exactly. Just be honest about being wrong. Yeah, so so the Prime Minister is now... I watched a Senator Senator Bragg speak in Parliament on the adjournment speech on Tuesday, I think it was. He was walking back and saying that we need to live with it. Mm-hmm. Right, so the prime minister is saying that because what's happened to him is he's trapped in his national cabinet yeah. because the Labor state premiers—they made it political. The Labor state premiers are now nailing him, and they're, they're saying if he doesn't cough up for um, you know for benefits for protecting people out of work that they caused, then 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 he'll be taking the blame politically. So the Labor, so the prime minister is now saying we need to live with it. 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 it the rhetoric will become louder. Gladys Berejiklian, the Liberal prime minister, is saying ex- Liberal premier is now saying those things and saying we're going to have to live with it. So they're walking their way out instead of saying we were wrong. Mm. Now what I said back in March of 2020, get the data, and make your decision. And I'm the first to say that I supported. The initial lockdown. Mm. I supported the initial... I, I did too, yeah. The initial... Um, uh, well, it makes sense because you don't have data. Correct. And, and I supported the initial payments and the job keeper and the job seeker. That is now wrong. The decision back then wasn't wrong, but it's wrong to keep doing it. Mm. Because we're destroying the Gold Coast. We're destroying regional... I was in, ba- I was in uh, Hewenden. Stepping out of uh, mm-hmm. uh, out of my car in Hewenden, which is a town of about 900 people, northern Queensland. Mm-hmm. This is a couple of months ago. And I step out of the out of the car and they've all got masks on. Not one fucking case of COVID would have been through that joint. Bamagas, through 2,700 kilometres north of Brisbane. <laughs> we have three cases in Brisbane in January and the whole state's wearing masks. What a lot of bullshit because that's just a way of... Yeah, no, I'm with Conditioning you. you. Yeah. So it's mismanagement. I completely agree. So I do want to address... Um, we got... 
uh, we're kind of running out of time. Um, there's some stuff that I've really important stuff that I, I want to address. Um, so I, um, under, um, Aiden sent me this link and which I'm very thankful for. Um, so basically I watched a podcast. I took about, so this, this is kind of the problem as well, right? So last night I literally spent three hours watching 20 minutes of a podcast and I made four pages wow. of notes <laughs> I made four pages of notes trying to wrap my head around it because I'm not a fucking lawyer. I'm not a politician. I'm just a dude that's trying to understand what's actually going on, right? So there's a lawyer. His name is Professor, Professor David Flint AM. Oh, so yeah. he is yeah. he is a, congress, uh, a, a constitutional, uh, constitutional lawyer. lawyer, one of the most decorated in the country. He's written a bunch of books. He's got an order of Australia. Good guy too. Very I, good. I would love to meet him. I where's can where's he based? You. Sydney. Okay, that's fine. I can introduce you. So he, he lives he, in Mexico? Not happening. <laughs> um, so, basically, I lived in America uh, and I criticised the way, and now I fully regret this, right? I criticised the way... That means you're growing. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be, compl- I'll be so uh, openly wrong about this. I would criticise them on the Second Amendment so heavily. The right to bear arms? Yep. I was just like, you guys are fucking idiots. We gave our guns away in Australia. We're fine. We've got a great government. The government cares for us. The government's our homies. They got our back. They'll never do nothing to fuck (laughs) us over, right? I was under the impression that we essentially had the same bill of rights, that we have the right to protest. We don't have the right to bear arms. We got rid of that, which whatever. Um, But we have freedom of speech. Um, I just assumed that we had the same levels of of freedoms um and i was of the opinion that the government was accountable to the people um and that ultimately in a free country um the people were the ones that had the real voice and i also was under the the impression um that if something was unconstitutional um that i'd really just be able to stand my ground like martin luther king style you know and just practice civil disobedience of something that i believed to be unconstitutional um so i'll play a couple of clips here but essentially we've got a so this is how i understand it so federally um medical uh you can, but there's basically on um, it's like section uh 5123a um it was an amendment made in the 40s that basically said dental and uh, medical and dental services but not so as to authorize any form of civil conscription so that is our constitution saying you're right that the government the federal government cannot mandate any form of medical civil conscription correct so mandating a vaccine would be a form of civil conscription that is unconstitutional um, at the level of the federal government correct now the way that the constitution is written though uh, and this is something i didn't fully digest and understand i can understand it um, in terms of like the end user but how they get to it fully not across that yet but basically there's a difference between the powers of the state and the federal government and then they if they overlap 
the federal if the the state essentially steps outside of the constitution the federal government then challenges the state that goes into the high court and then the high court decides uh, who wins essentially the argument between the federal government or the um, constitutional parliament and the state government right so that's our checks and balances that get put in place to make sure that the, the states can run their states and what, what was the word that you used like uh it's basically like so that the, there could be competition Com- within the competitive states. federalism so Compet- we have a federation yeah. of states so that's federal yeah. set, set up yeah. but it's competitive so the states compete yeah but, and it's, then, but it's a very effective competition it's not a gut not a, a ruthless yeah. doggy dog competition it's a competitive it's a compet it's a competition like a of ideas yeah. it's a free market of government and yeah. you have then have accountability that's the way accountability comes to the system so then uh basically then the federal government is there uh and it can challenge these unconstitutional laws that can get created by the state so basically uh what west i wonder i should maybe play this clip first um because there is a I've got it here. So this is just for everyone. This is not my words. This is uh, Professor David Flint. Specific occupations or even, and I think this would be terrible, but even in relation to all the population, there's even talk, as you know, of uh, some form of vaccination passport, which you Mm. could use or you need to use in relation to crossing borders or in relation to going into certain places and so on. And the question is, to what extent can this be done? I think it would be wrong to do that. Mm. It would be in breach of a very fundamental principle. Yes. That medical treatment, including vaccination, requires informed consent. I think there's an obligation on the state to inform us properly, which they're not doing in relation both as to the vaccine and the unintended consequences of the vaccine, but also in relation to the effectiveness of the vaccine, which I think is being over-preached by some of the authorities when you see what's happened in Israel and in the United Kingdom. All right, so basically there, you're hearing it from a guy who spent his life studying the Australian Constitution. Uh, informed consent uh, is something that is, they're two really big words um, that I think the argument really hinges on. Um, there's a couple ways that you can go with that. And I think that when you, when you stop a conversation around vaccines and then when you want to tell the media that they can't and cannot talk about certain aspects that come with the vaccine, side effects, um, then that kind of limits a person's um inform it the informed consent how how can you have informed consent if you're only hearing one side of numbers or certain numbers are being withheld so that's kind of the first you, you can't have informed consent i completely agree so then i've got another clip here just to go again can exercise or the executive can exercise under legislation but they are all shared with the states. None of them are exclusive. The exclusive mm-hmm. powers are in Section 52 and there aren't many ones exclusive to the Commonwealth. So most powers are shared with the states. And to overcome the problem that there could be uh, a contradiction between federal and state laws, 
you find in section 109 a very simple provision. It merely says that if there is an inconsistency between a law passed by the federal parliament and law of the states, then the law passed by the federal parliament must prevail. And the High Court's developed a doctrine, which is that if you can establish that the Commonwealth, that Canberra intends to take over the whole power, occupy the whole field, then the High Court will give all of the power to the Commonwealth. So there are a number of powers, they're all shared, and among these are powers relating to medical matters. All right, so now uh, basically that's the checks and balances that are kind of put in place by the Constitution. This is how I'm understanding it anyway, uh, to ensure that the states can't rule tyrannically that goes against the Constitution um, and that there's there's some checks and balances in place to ensure um, that the system can kind of run properly. So now it seems to me that the problem is, is that you have a government that is willfully accepting state government legislating that goes directly against the Australian constitution. And the federal government is the one that is supposed to essentially call out the state government um, for making laws that are unconstitutional. They should be challenging those laws um, in the high court. And then the high court is the one that decides whether or not those laws are within the Australian constitution. It's very clear in the Australian constitution um, that you can't force medical conscription, um, which is what you're seeing with vaccines. So now it actually doesn't work like that. Okay. The, the way it way it works is that the fed the constitu the federal constitution the national constitution restricts what the federal government can do and yeah. and and mandates what the federal government can do. It doesn't affect the states directly. So. What happening is the, the so yeah, there's the, there's the, no like state constitution essentially. You know, some of the states have constitution. I don't oh, know. Okay. They probably all have. I don't yeah. know. They, I think they all do have. But anyway, so what happens is it says if here's what the federal government can do, here's what it can't do, and if it's silent on that, then the states can do whatever they want. So the the federal government can't can't uh, mandate vaccines. It can't enforce medication. Okay, so that's clear. And that's clear through the Australian Constitution. Yeah, that's correct. If the federal government had passed a legislation, a bill, a law that said you can't mandate vaccines or medication... The state would have to follow that. The state would not be able to do it. Yeah. But there's no federal law. There's just a constitutional provision that says yes. the federal government okay. can't do it. Yeah. So there's no need for the federal government to do it. So what happens then? There's two issues here, lawful and immoral. Yeah. So... The state governments, Western Australia and Victoria, can come in, in Western Australia's case, they can forcibly pin you down and get someone to inject something into you. Yeah. They can do that. That's by law. And Victoria, same. They can force you to be man they can force you to be vaccinated. Other states don't have that provision. But there's nothing to stop those states doing that, mm. passing those laws. Legally they can do it. Yeah. Morally, it's completely immoral. 
well, it's unethical. And, and it goes against the constitution. Yeah, but that's the federal, that's what governs yeah, but, the federal behavior. Yeah, but so, but aren't we all a part of Australia? Shouldn't we all be acting we under are, the Australian constitution? We are, but the constitution, constitution? says the, we, yeah, yes, so that's the, what I'm saying. That, so there's a loophole. It's here, not really a, a loophole. It's, it's you can drive a truck through it. It's not a loophole because it's it, that the constitution, the federal constitution, governs the federal government. Yeah. Okay, and it tells the federal government what it can and can't do. There are, there's another really big example as well that that uh, came in 20 years ago. So, if the federal government turned around and said we're going to pass a law, and it got it through Parliament saying that vaccines cannot be mandated. State governments would be done. Yes, they'd be finished. Yeah, but there's no such federal law. But so they could do that, though. So this, they could, yes. Yeah. But and that would be in line with the constitution. Correct. Yes. Correct, and that's what we would like them to do. Here's an, here's another thing. Under section fifty three, which is the same section clause, section fifty one. Sorry, sorry, section fifty one, clause thirty one. It says the federal government, if if it interferes with someone's property rights rights to use the property, then it must pay just terms compensation. So in other words, if the federal government through one of its laws or actions affected your right to use your property, yeah. then it must compensate you for that. Yeah. Right? So this is what happened that the states don't have that that provision. So in nineteen ninety six the United Nations had the Kyoto Protocol. And that said, shut down your factories, your power stations, etc., to stop this evil stuff called carbon dioxide, which is complete bullshit. There's no evidence, as I've said. They've never provided any. So what John Howard did, he was under political pressure, so he said, his government said, we can't shut that down, but people won't take it. But we will comply with it. So they dreamt up a way of doing that. And that was to, carbon dioxide gets produced when we exhale. Yeah. And all animals exhale carbon dioxide. And plants take it in. Mm-hmm. And they produce oxygen, which we take in. So we're, we're like that with the plants. So what he said was, what, what his government said was that, okay, plants take in carbon dioxide. Therefore, if we stop the clearing of plants, we can get a credit mm. for our carbon dioxide production. Got it? Mm-hmm. There's a problem. If the federal government stopped the clearing of land, it's interfering with a farmer's property rights. Mm. So a farmer goes out and buys a patch of dirt. And then all of a sudden the government says you can only clear half of it. You've just lost the value of that land. And they've got to compensate. They've by, got to compensate. By law. Which you're looking at hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. So what John Howard's government did was they went to Queensland's premier, who was a National Party premier, Rob Borbidge, and said, let's do a deal. You enact tree-clearing legislation preventing the clearing of trees. So this is exactly what's happening right now. Exactly. This is exactly the same shit. So so Borbidge signed a memorandum. The Liberal and Labor Party people in Borbidge's coalition document... So they've circumvented... They've circumvented And that's immoral. It's unethical. Well, it's fraudulent. Of course it is. So so then then what happened was um, the Howard government in 1998, Beattie came to power, the Howard government paid hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer payments and said, here, Peter Beatty, go for your life. Use mm. it. No conditions attached, providing you put in place native vegetation protection laws. Notice how they called it a sweet term, native vegetation protection, doing the right thing. Bullshit. These farmers were stolen. Their land rights were stolen. Mm. And so what happened was the federal government pushed that. We've got it in writing in a letter from 
from Peter Beattie to John Howard's government saying, we will do this so that you can comply with the UN's Kyoto Protocol. That is a federal government order that the states enacted and the farmers have been stolen for hundreds of billions of dollars. They're doing exactly the same thing here. Oh, Morrison God. said he would not he would not mandate vaccines. Hey, listen, oh. I've literally got it right here oh. for you. I've got it right. So exactly what you have just said. So this is where now I've jumped off the they're just fucking incompetent people. There's no agenda. They're just people that are doing a shit job. And by making more laws and taking freedoms, it just makes it easy to govern. This is now where I've got Willful. one foot off Willful. the train. This is where I'm like <laughs> looking to kind of bail, right? Is I heard this interview. So with everything that that what you just gave in that example with John Howard is exactly what is happening here. The federal government cannot mandate something, so they are giving the power. Well, the, the states already have no, the power. No, they're not giving them the power. The states yeah, already yeah. have the power, and they're going, hey, even though this is unconstitutional, even though this is essentially fraudulent against the Australian Constitution, we're not going to stop you from doing it. There's well, they're asking them to. Yeah. So this is this is this is not conspiracy shit. Oh, hang on, this, this is this just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. This okay. Is, before you need to know that a month before that, Morrison, our prime minister, said he will not mandate vaccines. Oh, of course he can't. Okay. He won't because then a he month can't. later he says this. Yeah. So this this is everything that we need to hear about what's happening with the government right now. Is that want to jab would have their second dose. And once they are able to have that opportunity, would you support measures such as vaccine certificates yeah. to make sure that people who go to events at full capacity next year? Well, these are all the things that we'll consider in those various step changes, step two, step three. Uh, we already have vaccine certificates. They already exist. And uh, those vaccine certificates this month, we expect to be in a form that can be dropped into Apple wallets, That's things crazy. of that nature. Yeah. And later in the year, Tomorrow. about October, we estimate, um, we'll have a, a vaccination certificate that will be able to be um, uh, used internationally recognised. Just on, no, Jack, you said we don't mandate vaccines in this country. But you, I believe, were social services minister when no jab, no play came in, which is about as close as you can get to mandating vaccines. So why wouldn't you take mm -hmm. that approach? Just to follow up this well, question. Well, I didn't say we wouldn't. I'd say... Why not take up the French approach where we've got a tiny minority protesting yep. and millions of extra people now getting vaccines? Yeah. Uh, my record, as you've outlined it, is, is true. Um, so I think so you know where... I, I think you, my record speaks to my disposition on these things, but they're not things that the Prime Minister or even the, the federal government decides. Ultimately, Restrictions that have been placed on people moving about in their states can only be imposed by states. The Commonwealth Government can't do that. Only the state governments Completely can place immoral. restrictions on people entering a venue, Completely uh, entering immoral. a place of work, things That's like this. There are also industrial relations issues. Complete violation of natural well. law. Um, they can apply uh, the public health orders that, that mandate vaccinations, like the Western Australia Premier has done in terms of quarantine-based workers. They have those powers. This they is can the implement enemy. them. I can provide them with the tools that helps them to implement. I can provide them, them with the tools that help digital them. vaccine certificates and things of that nature, and they can employ them. That's why we've kept them well up to date uh, with how those those mechanisms and those <coughs> systems are working. Recently, and Andrew, I mentioned earlier. All right, so yeah, that was the shit that made me really kind of worry about where we're at. Um, so essentially. The federal government knows that it cannot 
legally mandate vaccines. Quite clear. Very, very clear. Um, But the states do have the power to do that. If the federal government, as you said, decided to pass a law, the states would have to comply with that law. Um, But essentially, this is a bureaucratic way of legally circumventing the Australian Constitution. Um, Nothing more needs to be said. No, that's it. You've said it. Yeah, it's in, it's fucking insane. It's, and it's then, inhuman. It's anti-human. And then you take away the right to protest and we're fucked. And even if you do protest, and some people have protested, if you do protest, you're not reported as protesting, so nobody knows that you've been in a protest. Mm. We've had thousands of people protesting, but the media doesn't report it. Or if they do, they'll show a small side group Mm-hmm. And they'll say, look at these dickheads. 300 people turned Look at out these to dickheads, yeah. you know. And then what... Just show the, you the dude riding the horse. Yeah, and, and so what happens, you know, we, we have got small bodies. I mean, I'm only tiny, but, you know, you're, you're bigger. But your body is still tiny compared to a tiger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would not stand up to a tiger. And humans have got this neocortex again, but we've also got a very good social skill. And so we well, can we've band... we've got the most effective communication. Yes, and so we can band together... And we can knock off a saber-toothed tiger. We mm. can defend our property. We can defend our families against saber-toothed tigers because of our social skills and our, and, our, and our logical, rational thinking skills. So what's happened over the years is that if you rock the boat, mm. then you're a threat to that community. So you're ostracized from the community. The people who did that, their genes dropped off. And so the genes of, of what mm. do you call it, uh, belonging... Complicit. That, well, it's a it's a valid thing. The the genes that, that encourage us to be sociable and to belong. Yeah, yeah. Perpetuated. Now you still get some individuals who don't. Okay, they, I get that. But the point I'm getting to is that uh, the need to belong in humans is extremely strong. Yeah. It's a matter of life and death, literally. Tribalism. Correct. But so so that need to belong is so strong that quite often what happens is people are thinking, shit, I don't believe this, so I better Mm -hmm. speak up. Oh, no one will like me. Mm -hmm. I'll shut up. There's a a famous, he's the best in the world, they say, uh, Richard LeBlanc-Smith. He's he's an expert on corporate governance, right? In, was it, 20 years ago, HIH fell over on Enron and a few other companies. Bad failures of corporate governance. Fraud, theft, you name it. Disgraceful. And so all the governments around the world piled in and said, we'll write legislation that this won't happen, you know, that that put in place procedures and boards. Richard LeBlanc-Smith said, this is bullshit because what happens in boards is that the strongest personality prevails. And so a a CEO, if he's got a strong or she's got a strong personality, you might have seven or eight other board members. He or she will say, we need to do this and it's going to cost us $2 billion or whatever. And everyone goes, doesn't make sense to me. But But, he's the dude. Uh, can I ask a question? What the hell are you doing asking a question? Everyone should know that answer. What are you doing as a board? Okay, I won't ask that question. You know what I mean? So they're afraid of admitting their fundamental lack of knowledge. That weakness, that gutlessness in people is what enables characters to hijack hijack companies, hijack unions, hijack Hijack football clubs, hijack parliaments, hijack countries. And then what happens is you, over the years, you'll, 
suck in the power from the states. Remember, we we had very few decentralization. You centralize. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you centralize, yeah. then what happens is you get people from overseas, vested interests, driving the policy of your country through through because bureaucrats. there's such a small people like that have the ability now to be bought. If you've got decentralized power, correct. If you've got decentralized power, then it's so much harder to buy those people. Correct. So I That's a natural provision for safeguarding the country. Direct democracy is a direction that I think like if you could just click your fingers complete revolution like that. That's how we vote. Everybody. You get a set I mean I've we don't have time for it now, but I mean then if you've got 25 million people voting on policy in Australia. How the fuck does Big Pharma buy 25 million people? Very Do you easy. know how they buy? By doing a really good job. No, but that's one way to do it. The other way they do it is they mass communicate. And we already know yeah. that they've been fined billions in lies. So I've given this some thought. Citizens initiated referendum, I believe, are essential. Yeah. I, I have a. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember an. Uh, an an older person, she was in her 60s, she went to, and she was never politically astute, never never interested, right? She went to Switzerland for a holiday. Switzerland are a country that has four uh, referendums every single year. Well, it has a better system even than that. So she came back just having a holiday, right, with her husband. And I said, Auntie Betty, what do you think of Switzerland? Expecting her to think of majestic snowy mountain peaks and great people and friendly and clean and all the rest of it. She said they have responsibility. Mm. the governments are responsible I said what she said yeah there's a very strong sense of responsibility you know what does it if the governments make a stupid mistake then just by I've forgotten the percentage but you can raise I, I tried can, to look up the percentage can, but I couldn't find it might it. be around 1% or whatever it is it's, it's fairly small then if you can get 1% of people on a petition then the government has to put that law to the people as a, as a referendum. And those those take place four times a year. And the other thing is that the people can say, right, you're doing a shitty job as Re-vote. Prime Minister, out you go. Yeah. Now, th- there is a problem with having direct democracy voting through these things because Big Pharma can spend more. We know that they lie through the media. We know that they manipulate so the truth. So my... So you, you, they would control the people through massively communicating. So that's, I that's think, flawed. I think that there's a way to mitigate that. I think that um, let's say you've got this direct democracy, right? It You go to a system where it's like America, where you don't have to vote. It's not, uh, it's not mandatory to vote. And then you get... Uh, the options would be filtered by like national legislation, state legislation, essentially by postcode, right? So you could have you go in and you go oh, like, I see what you're doing. and you go, okay, I want to vote on this particular issue. Like, so for instance, like a, a a thing that's close to home for me would be the culling of crocodiles in North Queensland, right? Why the fuck would some yuppie dickhead in Melbourne that lives in fucking St Kilda have any idea? Of the crocodile problem in North Queensland. You've got it. Do you know who knows about the crocodile problem in North Queensland? I know about the crocodile problem in in North Queensland. I can tell you 50 swimming holes that I spent my entire childhood in that you cannot go to now. And you know what? Your argument, what you just said about Big Pharma, this plays perfectly into this. Bindi fucking Irwin. God bless her soul. <laughs> As soon as they started talking about culling crocodiles in North Queensland, Bindi Irwin sends a tweet 
oh they're gonna do this to the poor crocodiles and then boom every it was intense man they're people that should have absolutely no jurisdiction like they really shouldn't have a say they they kind of should have the ability to have a say in a sense but this is my second part of that plan you get this material on your phone you go this is the bill that i want to vote on right you have to read both sets of material that are you could call it independently peer-reviewed non-profit organize blah 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 there's there's holes in it there would be a way to do it right you have to read the the both sides of the argument then you have to answer simple multiple choice questions that have have showed that you've read both sides of the material the biggest problem that we have now and this is because of algorithms on youtube and facebook and instagram is that you get ramrodded one fucking side of every single argument you're a pro-trump supporter you will never ever see anything that makes sense from the left in your instagram feed you'll never you get delivered content how do i know because it's literally my job to try and figure out how to make that shit work to make me money so you get people that have to be forced to read a multitude of articles that have been uh you'd you'd have to have there there would be there are objective people out there you know Uh, and then you you vote uh, you sorry, you do your multiple choice that shows that you've read both sides of the material and then bang, you get to cast your vote. That's a lot of work, man. That's a lot of work. You would be, you would get informed voters, right? And so a good example of this gay marriage, we had the referendum around uh, gay marriage. I'm completely for gay, gay marriage. That to me feels just like a human right. And there's some uh, insurance implications and there's some legal implications that come with that. That's my that's my opinion. If you don't like that opinion, that's completely fine with you. It went to the polls. It turns out that my opinion was the opinion that the majority of the country shared, right? If you've got that, that vote doesn't go your way, then, and you've got this ability to do referendums and to do these recall elections, you are going to want to become a more informed voter. I think that this kind of system would encourage people to vote uh, on... Um, or, or be active members of parliament and it would make people feel like they actually had uh, a say. You raise a very, very strong argument because uh, and on the one hand, if you had um, make it, made it voluntary to vote, many people would just say bugger it. Until, right. until a bunch of queers get married and then they're like, well, fuck, I didn't want that. Right. So, so... Um, what you're saying is you're putting responsibility on the people and throughout my um, career in business, whenever that's happened, initially people go, no, don't want that responsibility, you keep it. But after a while they love it Mm. because they're free because when they have responsibility, providing you give them authority, you must give them authority, then if they have that authority and responsibility, all of a sudden they're free. Mm -hmm. And with that you have a much more involved Workforce, you have a much more involved citizenry. So I agree with you. And then it comes down to education. And then you're leaving it into the free market of ideas. And then I'd be talking, I'd be like, Ronan, dude, you got to, you, you, you have to vote on just this. Just one you problem. And I think I've got the answer for you. Just one problem. And that is that throughout history, a small group of people has always been able to tug into our care for for things, whether it's environment or people or whatever, our care for things and manipulate that. Mm. So there are many instances. But you're a big data guy. 
Yeah, that's right. But most people aren't. So um, when you go walk into a Mercedes showroom, you know, they'll try to feed you all the facts and all the rest of it. And, and if you just say, hang on, this is a bloody expensive car here. Mm. You know, I can get a Honda that's better quality, more reliable down the road for a third the price. Then they always do this. Wouldn't you like to be in the world's safest car? Wouldn't your family deserve that? <laughs> See what I mean? The emotion comes in, completely yeah. bypasses. And then they'll do it in front of your wife. Mm. So then you think, your wife thinks, oh, geez, I'm not going to be, you know. But again, but I feel so like. What, so the answer then, then I think, Jace. More education. Is, no, but that always helps. But the answer is to minimize central government. Mm. What the Americans have also done very well is that they've got governments at their local level which control money control taxes so they're responsible for their county taxes so that so they're voted on that accordingly they look after basic services the state governments look after other services the federal government's supposed to look after only defense and a few other things right mm. now over the years this, the federal government has taken a lot of the state's power in america done the same here the only solution that i can come up with is minimize central government. That is the key problem. Yeah. Maximize the services in the state and maximize them locally. So then, by all means, do what you had, but not while we've got a massive central government because oh, yeah, it's, no, it's I'm, always hijacked. I'm, compl- I'm completely against having a massive central government. Yeah. I think this is a way to uh, to go against that. Um, so uh, it's got it's got merit. It'd be fucking hard to make happen though. Uh, David Flint recommends the five following changes maybe we'll we'll getting close to having a to end um return to the constitution um it's too centralized this is in his opinion yeah um, i agree so i think we both can agree on that one reduce the powers and taxes by canberra yes um, right now the australian government receives 80 percent of all taxes and then it redirects these taxes um to the states and then that comes with certain instructions on how to spend those dollars that is essentially creating the problem of a centralized government this is another one that i think is really worth talking about we, we might have to do another podcast at some point I'm happy to do um that. reform political parties basically right now uh, political parties receive enormous money for every seat uh, from the taxpayer uh, exemptions from privacy and electoral laws um, and this has put the big parties in a very favorable position in return uh, these parties should be expected to be open transparent and democratic but that is currently not the case uh, david also goes on to suggest moving to a primary system which allows uh for a truly fresh leadership to be voted in uh a real the the perfect real world example of this is donald trump he was not an endorsed candidate from the republican party but he ran as the republic he said i'm a republican and i'm going to run as a republican candidate he then won the primary election and the republican party had no fucking choice but to put Donald Trump forward uh, as the Republican candidate. Donald Trump then goes on to win the election. That is the most, uh, the clearest example that we've had in modern time um, of a really true democratic process. Um, this You could talk about the college, yep. electoral, whatever. Um, but in terms of a random dude could go like I can't cha- challenge Scott Morrison right now in in that party. There's so they, because they control um, like the preliminaries and all that sort of stuff. So that's something that we need to to get away from. Citizen initiated referendum that's binding, as we've spoken about. Um, this is the case in Switzerland. Uh, so basically, if we had a percentage of people that 
wanted to sign a petition uh, to call for a referendum. Like I said, Switzerland does it four times a year. So every three months, there is a chance. So we've had fucking 18 months of this bullshit. And I have not had a chance to have one say about it. So in 18 months, if we've got one every three months, how many times is that? You do the math. But we have a chance to have a say. Right now, as Australians, we don't have that. Also, recall elections. Uh, in both cases, a petition of a certain number um, we create uh, would create both. Recall elections are happening in California right now. Uh, and as I mentioned, when Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor of California, that was the result of a recall election. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially too there's some more notes that i made here as well um basically the uh the corowa plan was in 1891 and basically all of our unfederated uh, states each state was kind of sovereign it was more like the essentially like south america like individual sovereign states that were like kind of on this this one yeah almost countries uh we come together in 1891 um and then there was a a people's conference that essentially drafted the first uh, Australian constitution. Uh, It spent, I think it was two years, being fucked around in state parliaments uh, until the people of Australia came together um, and... uh, What am I going to just read off here so I don't fuck this up? Uh, Once it came to a draft constitution, it would be circulated amongst the public and parliament and it would be put to the people of Australia in a series of referendums in 1893 it took four years to completely federate our country that constitution has not been looked at in its totality since that time that was 120 years ago so in my solution for some of these problems we've spent three and a half hours talking about some of the things that are wrong with the country um there are five points there that we could outline um that could help the situation that we're in give the people a little bit more power hold the government more accountable uh and i also think that 120 years uh of a constitution that has not been looked at in its totality is way too long a lot of shit's gone down in 120 years, and I think as Australians, we probably need to look at it. Well, um, we've got a good constitution. It's not being complied with. I don't think the constitution needs much changing. We've had opportunities to change it Well, over I think the years. that those five points there are probably... They're good. good. Yeah. Very good, yeah. yeah. And that's I, I, powerful. That's not a lot of changes to the constitution, but that's five things that give the people a lot more power. The, the weakest point in our democracy... The number one problem facing this country is shitty governance. It is atrocious. COVID revealed how we are no longer independent. Mm. We rely upon other people for basic manufactured goods. We don't make our own tool equipment for making making uh, assembly lines. We can't even do that. We don't make cars. We don't make motorbikes. Basic stuff. We don't make ventilators. Mm. So this was exposed, and we made sure everyone heard about it. And we had a little bit of murmurings from Labor and Liberal saying, oh, yes, yes, we'll have to get our manufacturing sector back. We're destroying our manufacturing sector with their electricity policies. We produce coal in this country, export it to China. They generate electricity with $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour. That's what they sell it for. Same coal, not shipped overseas, is, is burned here and it's sold for $0.25 cents a kilowatt hour because of all the bullshit regulations that we've got on top of it, favouring solar and, and wind. Complete crap destroying our electricity sector so our jobs get exported to China. But l- let me just mention tax. This goes to the heart of federalism. Up until 1943, the states could levy income tax. 
that puts the responsibility of spending on the states. Because if they want to spend more, they've got to levy more tax. Then you destroy yourself relative to the other states. People leave your state and go to the other states. Yeah. Accountability. Federal government in 1943 took the right to levy income tax off the states. The states lost in the high court because it was a war emergency under in the Second World War. In uh, around about 2015, the treasurer, Joe Hockey, said that people are working from January to June to pay taxes. Half your bloody year. Yeah, okay, But he didn't get it right. It means that you have July to December to live off. Mm. Everything you want to do, you live off. In the late 1990s, early 2000s, there were figures that said 60, a person earning the average income, which these days is about 80 grand, will pay 68% of her income to the governments in forms of rates, levies, fees, charges, special charges. 68%. That means, Jace, that you are working from Monday morning to Thursday mid-morning, Smoko on Thursday. For free. Pay- no, you're paying the government. You're paying the government. Now, we have been fed more conditioning that says the biggest purchase of your life is your house. Mm. Bullshit. 68% yeah. of what you earn goes to pay for government. Yeah. Are you getting value? I don't feel like I am. Currently. You're bloody not getting value. You have to live off the rest, what you, what you earn on two-thirds of Thursday and all of Friday. You, all your education, all your food, all your clothing, your transport, your housing, your education, your entertainment, your retirement, off 32% because the rest has been stolen. Why has it been stolen? Because major in Australia we have 90%, and this is from the Deputy Commissioner of Taxation in 1996 and 2010, Jim Kalali said this, 90% of Australia's large companies are foreign-owned and since 53, 1953 have paid little or no tax. They're coming in here, exporting our natural gas of, of Western Australia to the Japanese. The Japanese import their natural gas. They pay an import duty to the Japanese government of $3 billion a year. We get zip. We export our gas. We're now the world's largest exporters of energy. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. We export more energy in the form of natural gas and coal than any other country, more than any Middle East country. And we get bugger all for it. We get screwed because 90% of Australia's large companies are foreign-owned and since 1953 have paid little or no tax. Meanwhile, you're paying 68%. If you're earning $80,000, you're paying 68% to the government. And then because the state, the federal government levies all the tax, the, the, the federal government says to the Boulogne Shire Council in southwest Queensland, not a very, it's a big in area but not much in, in people, mm. 73% of that, of that Boulogne Shire Council's revenue per year comes from the federal government. But it doesn't say, here, have your money. The federal government says, what do you want to spend it on? And this is what you will spend it on. Mm. So who's running the Boulogne Shire Council? The federal government. The federal government's got its, its claws into everything. And then the basic thing comes back to the parliaments don't, don't oversee the, the governments well enough. There's no accountability. If we had competitive federalism and more going back to the states, you'd have, you'd have a free market in government. But the real fundamental thing is it doesn't matter what system you have. If the voters ignore it, they'll fuck it up. Mm. We, don't hold the gov- we as voters don't hold the governments accountable, don't hold the parliaments accountable. Part of that is because we're not informed because the media is in the past. So what we've got to do is we've got to get people more aware of the circumstances. We've got to get people to say, 
damn it, I am going to take responsibility for my vote. Yeah. I'm going to vote. I'm going to make sure my, my vote is, is sensible. I'm going to change the parliament by changing who I vote for. Instead of voting for the two tired old parties, I'll vote for independents, minor parties. I don't care who you vote for. Just vote, your, vote based on strength of character of your leaders, vote for policies, and vote on values. They're the things to vote. Look after your country. So that, that's the first thing. The, the second thing is that we must get people to, to, to realise that the media is lying to them. The media is a propaganda artist. Sky News is just pushing the government's line on, on COVID, helping stir, stir the fear. We need, you can't rely on social media for the reason we talked about. You can't rely on the, on the legacy media. There's only one form of media you can rely on, and that's people like yourself, independent media, truth media, that says, hey, this is my view. You make up your own mind. And then you feed them stuff. That's what's got to happen. The fundamental thing with democracy is having informed voters, mm. not people who are manipulated by the media. So sadly, I've got to say it, the people who are responsible for the fuck up we're in right now are the voters. But it's not directly their responsibility because the governments, the parliaments, the media have so manipulated and misled them. But it's got to be people like you who stand up there and say, hey, let's, get, let's have a look at these issues. And give people a voice. Yeah. And I, like I said at the very start of this, like I was a person that just didn't give a fuck. And man, I, I, I remember being in class like grade three and get taught rights and responsibilities. And I'm over here screaming about my rights and I feel like my rights have been taken away. Well, guess what comes hand in hand with rights? responsibilities and I have a responsibility and I would like to take this responsibility up I want to make my fucking country better this is a really really good country I've been all over the world oh, the I've, people I've lived in places Just all over phenomenal. the world the fucking people the landscape, the like, climate, the la the resources we have, just energy resources, metals resources, minerals resources. It just this is country is blessed. All we've got is wombats running the joint. Yeah, but we all need to stand up as Australians, beat bad ideas with good ideas. Don't call people fuckwits. Don't carry on. Don't engage. Beat people's bad ideas with better ideas. The free market will win if you give it that chance. So I would like to take up my own responsibility a little bit more. Um, I thank you very much for your time. Um, oh, pleasure. Maybe we'll, we'll do this again, hopefully yep. at, at some point. Um, there's some shit that's definitely worrying um, with the way that things are kind of going down uh, with the government. So I really appreciate you taking the time it, to, it is to important. clarify it. It is important to emphasize the point you just made. Australia is blessed with wonderful people, a very, very competent, innovative, entrepreneurial people and, and very creative. It doesn't matter what position you look at in any company, whether you're looking at the cleaner or the CEO, we have got some wonderful people in this country. We've just got to turn them loose. Yeah. And, and Harry Truman said, the American president said, the only thing, and he was very well read, most American presidents haven't been, he was extremely well read. He said, the only thing new in the world is a history you haven't, had, haven't read. Mm. This has all happened before. Governments and countries have fallen apart, just like this country's been raped. And so what we have to do is to learn from that and come back and just do what you're saying. Get involved. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Thank you. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I'd love to do this again. Um, if there's any people that you think we should uh, should talk to, um, 
let me know but um yeah senator malcolm roberts on instagram um and yeah like i said not a one nation affiliate hasn't been a place that i've voted before i just appreciate the fact that you'd want to come and have this conversation um i've thoroughly enjoyed it i've enjoyed it for the potential progress that we can make um but i've also enjoyed it for the fact that to be able to have such an open discourse agree disagree um and it's been a pretty amazing experience so thank you very much thank you i've enjoyed it too jace appreciate it thank you very much cheers